0: We'll rock your foundation without hesitation (laughs) Chad and Mars, face evils
1: I'm Chad Boakalum.
2: I'm Mark Marble.
1: And this is The Lantern Cast. Episode 226. That's right. Very special one. This is the last episode, of course, for the month of July, which also means it's the last episode that's officially part of the Green Lantern 75th celebration that we're doing. And although we will be doing some more GL 75th stuff, it obviously will have to come out in August instead of July. So... We figured we'd do one of our big episodes right before the cutoff. So that episode, guys, is actually an interview.
3: Uh,
1: and unfortunately, uh, the, the great Martin O'Dell, uh, is no longer with us. Uh, so, uh, the creator of Alan Scott, uh, would have been the ideal, uh, candidate, uh, to, to have on this massive celebration. But we got the next best thing. Uh, we got his granddaughter, Jackie uh, Jackie Nodell is is here to talk with us And she's been on the show before Hey, Jackie
4: Hey, guys How's it going?
1: It's going all right It's going, going all right.
4: Good Yeah, I think I was on It was a while back now I think that was episode, like, 20-something
1: <laughs> That's right And it was a whole, whole different cast then I don't even think I was a part of it back then
2: <laughs> You
4: weren't You weren't So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so
2: what yeah the, we're, What was the topic back then? Do you remember, Jackie?
4: I think they interviewed me, and then we talked about mm, was it the? I don't even remember. I should have listened to it. That's
2: right. It's a. It's a. <laughs> that's a long time ago. Just by. It episode, was. Just by episode number alone, that's that's a whole. That was well, like had to be the first year, right, Chaz? The first full well, I'm, year.
1: I'm I'm, the, I'm the self-proclaimed. Well, they proclaimed me the Lantern Cast historian. So if I remember right, it was during Blackest Night. That's right. Yep. Okay, see? Awesome. So, reclaim my title. Uh, yep. <laughs> so, so yes, it was during Blackest Night. Uh, I remember that because I think that was also the first time, uh, Mark, you might have been on at like after you were promoting your facebook game and then probably I, I remember corwin was on a couple of times and um sean Pryor of action lab entertainment was on for the first time then then they talked about like the blackest night issue where firestorm melted his girlfriend or whatever i don't remember um sorry total tangent so <laughs> uh as everybody knows hashtag gl 75th is going on right now so that is the green lantern 75th anniversary now It's got a cover date, uh, All American Comics number 16 has got a cover date of July 1940, which means probably what, Jackie? May?
4: Uh, July, yeah, Mm mm-hmm. It probably would have come out in May. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything was back or forward dated by about two months.
1: Okay. So we, we, we kind of missed the wire, so we, we went with June, July just to kind of get in the, the middle ground of when it was actually on shelves and when it was cover dated. Um, but we brought Jackie on because, uh, of course, like we said, she is the granddaughter of Martin O'Dell. Now, just to kind of kick things off, Jackie, um, I know that uh, I was. Uh, we, a long time ago, I actually played some audio on an episode where uh, it was an old. Uh, there's a series of videos on YouTube of your grandfather. And is it his wife who joins him in there? It was like in the late 90s or early 2000s. He's talking about everything.
4: Yeah, probably. He was on. There's a lot of. Uh, different ones that people filmed at conventions. They used to have the golden age panels. Um, and yeah, it was probably my grandmother Carrie that joined him. Mm
1: -hmm. And he was talking about how, and you know, I always, I've read these things before, but I always like hearing them firsthand. So I was looking for those videos and he was talking about how the origin was, you know, he went in to meet with, you know, I guess it was national at the time. Uh, and he, was given the the charge to you know create a character and on the way home he took the train and saw someone swinging a green light and that was Green Lantern. Is that is that about right or?
4: Yeah, so um, he was looking for work um, and he had had ambitions to be an actor and uh, he actually moved from Chicago. He was uh, born in Philadelphia, but his family moved around quite a bit and then. Uh, he went to school in high school um, in Chicago, and then they ended up moving uh, back to New York. Um, and after, I guess I would have to say a failed attempt at a theater career, he thought he would get into comic books. Um, so he went up to, it was actually the all American offices. Mm-hmm. And he went and spoke to uh, Sheldon Mayer and, um, he showed him some of his artwork and, uh, Sheldon, uh, said that they needed superheroes. So if he thought of one, that, uh, he should bring it back in. So on his way back home to Brooklyn, uh, my grandfather, uh, was, all these things were starting to go through his head about, um, like Chinese, uh, folklore and Mythology, as well as, uh, he was into opera, uh, so Wagner's Ring Cycle popped into his head. And as he was waiting on the platform for the train, the, um, train engineer had a lantern, and one was red, and it basically meant for the train to stop. And then he pulled up one that was green, that meant for the passing train to go. And he saw the lantern and was like, alright, that's it. And, uh, so he went home and, Got to work, started drawing, um, and then he went back to the All-American offices and turned it in and uh sheldon mayor, uh, made him wait a few days, and then he called back and they said, okay, you know, come on in. And he eventually talked to uh, Max Gaines, and he uh, basically was like, all right, this looks good. Get to work.
1: Awesome. Now... Trying to figure out which, which one I want to ask you next, but, uh, for those who have seen, you know, digital copies of whatever, of All American number 16, uh, he, he used the pen name quite often of Mark Dellen. Now, obviously, I know why, but do you, do you want to explain kind of why your grandfather went about that route? I mean, I know the comics code and all the trials were going to be happening like about 10 years later, uh, or right around then, but there was a lot of tension and disreputable kind of, uh, attitude associated with comics at, at the time he was doing all this, right?
4: Sure. Uh, you know, comics were seen as kind of a lowbrow form of art, and he had uh, aspirations to then go into advertising. Um, so he, so first, you know, he was an actor, then was doing comics, then wanted to go into advertising. And he thought he better use a pseudonym, um, and that was Mark Dillon.
1: Mm-hmm. Any particular reason, or you just kind of wanted to shift around things and just kind of keep it close enough to his own name?
4: Yeah, I think he was just like, I'm going to mix up the letters, and, and uh, you know, it's a pretty obvious pseudonym, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I like it. I, I like it quite a bit, and I think it looks, his signature of when he would, you know, write it, it looks pretty neat, so... <laughs>
1: Now uh, I, I know that uh, Bill Finger had a had a big involvement, of, and of course, big Bill Finger's involvement with Batman is sort of uh, uh, undercut. <laughs> uh, but uh, how how involved was was uh, was Finger with your grandfather in, in in the creation and kind of fleshing out his idea?
4: So uh, after Marty created the character and brought it to the All American offices, um, they. He basically had the first four pages drawn and he had a plot for the rest of the story. Um, but they told him he was going to be really busy doing the illustration work. Uh, so they were going to bring in a writer. And so that's when they brought in Finger. Um, and so then he helped flush it out and write the stories. Okay.
2: So, Jackie, I had a question. <laughs> sure. Which <laughs> is actually following up on, I mean, it kind of flows that this is a, the best, the best time probably to ask based on where we are in the conversation that you told, you basically told, you know, how how your grandfather, you know, basically got created Green Lantern. When did, when did you find out about all this and how was it? Did he tell you all this himself? Was it your father or how old were
4: you? yeah. So I grew up going to comic book conventions from, I basically from the time I was in the womb, like my parents (laughs) were going to them. Um, and my grandparents had started going to conventions after uh, my grandfather retired from advertising. So that would have been late 70s, early 80s. Um, and so I just grew up going to conventions. I just thought it was normal. I didn't really realize what was going on. In elementary school, I was always kind of popular with the boys because I always had comic books and trading cards for them. <laughs> so... Um, But, yeah, I mean, it really didn't hit me, like, the importance and significance of it, really, until, you know, I was in high school and college, and that's when I really became interested in studying comic books historically.
2: So, as a, you kind of answered a second question about the, you know, I was going to ask you about the impact of that. So it was kind of cool mm-hmm. that it did. It, so, I, so obviously, the, it, you, had, you your view on it changed obviously as you got older. You just thought it was like matter more matter of factly, I guess, when you were a little girl, and then as as you got older, it's like, wow, that's pretty cool.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and when we were kids, it, we really only saw our grandparents at comic book conventions. Very rarely did we see them outside of them, so it was just like what we did, and we would go swimming at the hotel, and, you know, it was, our grandma was a lot of fun when we would go swimming, and so it was just sort of what we did every summer, Um, and uh, I have very fond memories of all the conventions when I was a kid, which, of course, they were very different than they are now,
2: (laughs) Not not wall to wall people
1: anyway. <laughs>
4: exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah, I, I like I like watching interview, especially that one I was referencing that that's split into like five parts on YouTube. Where your grandmother is almost like the, you know, where your grandfather will stumble over something, try and remember some detail, and she'll just kind of pipe in, <laughs>
3: just
1: yeah. kind of like prodding, and <laughs> remind him. I, I mean, that, that's so quintessential in anybody's family, and I was just, I just, I just like seeing moments like
3: that.
4: <laughs> oh yeah, she definitely. I mean, you really can't tell the story of uh, Marty Nodell without talking about Carrie. Oh. Um, she was definitely the love of his life, and they were quite the couple. <laughs> Quite the couple.
0: For sure, for sure.
2: S- so, a question about the, uh, the character the, the character as he became uh, the Golden Age Green Lantern. So, was Alan Scott the original name, or was there, there was a the rumor about it, it was supposed to be with Alan Ladd, I think, was the original name, something about yeah, that.
4: Yeah, that I find a little confusing, because I've also heard that, but then... Um, In old interviews I've read with my grandfather, he said that he just flipped through the phone book and came up with Alan Scott. I don't know whether it was one name in the phone book or a conglomeration. Um, So that, I'm not sure where the Alan lad came in. Um, There's still a lot I really don't know um, about. You know, everything is from interviews. He didn't really talk about it all that much to me. It really, everything I learned when I was small was just from observing him drawing and being at conventions and talking with the fans and other artists. Um, but as far as that, that's one of those mysteries that I am um, I definitely want to look into further because I think there's a few things that are a little fuzzy um, as far as, you know, that sort of thing.
1: Interesting. <laughs> Someone- Someone should take it to uh, something like maybe History Detectives. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, the show's not on anymore. <laughs> I know.
1: It's, that's. I. I think the first time I heard about it was when you were on it, actually.
4: Oh yeah, yeah, it was a great show. Yeah, that was a
1: lot of fun. Yeah, um, for those who don't know, there was a there was a show on. I think it was PBS. Uh, it was PBS. Yeah. That was History Detectives, and there was a gentleman that had an African American based romance comic, and it wasn't like you know old school. Uh, old school comics had a very stereotypical, uh, picture, uh, African Americans. This was very modernly drawn, very forward thinking. Uh, and I think he, he was looking for the, what, the artists, the original creators, and yeah. Jackie, mm-hmm. they, they, they brought it to the romance comics slash comics expert, Jackie Nodell.
3: <laughs>
4: yeah. Yep, that was, uh, that was quite, I think that was the same year that I did the Lantern cast. That was, er, uh, it was around the same time, around 2009 or so.
1: The rise of Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> we were part of it. We were there. Yes. <laughs>
2: not, not the rise of our podcast, just her rise. <laughs> Which is probably true, actually, but it's just kind of funny.
1: Now, I, I, I just, just because we're already on it, I wanted to ask, um, don't mean to bring anything down, but I noticed when I went to New York Comic Con a couple of years ago, everybody was super excited to meet people like, uh, Yvonne Hayes and Jeff Johns and all of these more modern creators. But I was like, I was walking through Artist Alley, um, and, you know, uh, when I was there, and I passed by this little table and there was barely any signage on it, uh, and then I noticed who it was. It was Joe Staten and there was everybody. Just walking right on by him, and I could not believe it. Was uh, when when your grandfather was still around and doing con- conventions, was it at a time where you know the convention idea was still unique and small enough to where he was getting the recognition, of course, that he deserves. Uh, I just want, yeah, okay.
4: Um, so when he started doing conventions, he actually got into them. Um this guy, uh, Gary Calabono, um, who later owned uh, Moon Moondogs. It was a comic book store in Chicago. He started the comic book convention in Chicago that Wizard eventually bought and is now uh the Wizard World Chicago. Um, so it was one of the original Wizard shows. But anyway, um, he got him got my grandfather doing conventions and it was Definitely at a time when these creators, uh, these Golden Age, Silver Age creators were, um, you know, definitely appreciated. And um, I think I've read somewhere that the first convention they went to, he didn't even have any art to sell. He wasn't even drawing. He was just talking to the fans. And I guess there was like a line like out the door. Um, so they really had a tremendous amount of fans. And... Um, up until, I mean, they were doing conventions, you know, basically until they passed away, <laughs> um, and they always had a ton of fans. And their fans were so great. Like I, I knew some of them very well, you know, fans that I met when I was very small and who I still know now. Um, so they they had great great fans and. Um, They truly adored their fans, and I really think the people that would come to talk to them and would have my grandfather do commissions, um, I really think that's why um, they lived such a long time and had such happy lives, Um, and he was really known, I think, for being very kind and very accessible to his fans, which now... um, I definitely find that really admirable um especially considering how popular he was as a golden age artist.
1: Yeah, I I uh I can't remember. I was watching and I um, for the life of me I wish I had the name at the tip of at the tip of my tongue. Uh it might have No, it might it's Irwin Haston, I think. Um mm-hmm. he I remember him um I remember him talking in a documentary about like you know why would anybody want to see us? I think he, just, I think he called him, uh, him and, himself and his fellow comic creators schmucks. We were, a bunch, <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were a bunch of little guys. We were just some schmucks, you know. <laughs> I, I, I like I like that attitude because there there are several creators out there nowadays, and I and I won't name any names, uh, but you know they they were around and, and big when comics kind of hit the revival process in the seventies and eighties, uh, and now they have large presence at at cons or you know several booths worth of uh, of of stuff and you know it costs like twenty dollars to take a picture with them you know and, and things like that um but I, I like when i see like for instance at new york comic-con when i ran into joe state and i was just like why is everybody walking past this table do you guys know who this <laughs> is <laughs> like <laughs> uh so it's uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that he he got the recognition he deserved um that's definitely cool it, I, I really wish I could have I was in the comics when I could have could have met him uh, it's one of my goals I'm gonna have to find to have not only a golden Age uh, Alan Scott appearance but also have it signed by Martin Odell so once I pay off my credit card I will then go searching for on eBay to find it there you go
4: there you go and I I mean I really don't have I've got two early issues um, but I would love to you know someday someday you know, someday I'll have All-American 16,
1: you know? <laughs> but. Uh, I wanted to ask, uh, just for for those, because, you know, he, he used the pseudonym, and then he's you know, someone, you know, like you said, just brought him into the convention. At what point did he kind of, uh, I mean, because we, for those who don't know, he, he uh, created the Pillsbury Doughboy, right?
4: Well, um, created, I guess I wouldn't use that term. Um, what happened was, after... The Green Lantern, he actually went um, and worked um, in the Timely bullpen. And that was from about 1948, late 1947, 1948 until 1950. And so there he was in the bullpen drawing Human Torch, Captain America, Submariner. um, And then he left comics. In 1950 and he went into advertising as he had hoped to do and he worked for a number of firms including Leo Burnett
0: mm-hmm. and
4: uh, at Leo Burnett and that was in Chicago um, he then became um, at some point not sure what year exactly one of their art directors and they had an account with Pillsbury and um, as art director, he was charged with coming up with, they knew they were going to have a, a mascot, um, for Pillsbury and they had decided, um, you know, basically what he was going to be in his story and he did the first drawing of the Pillsbury Doughboy. So it really was a team effort. You know, you see, he was definitely, you know, basically he wasn't like Don Draper, but you know, he was basically, (laughs) he was a, a madman, um, and he did at one point work on Madison Avenue, um, but he um, was the art director and came up with the look of. He was called Poppin' Fresh yep. then.
1: None of the. Woo-hoo!
4: Yeah. <laughs> Pre- predated the. Woo-hoo. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure who uh, did the who. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's fun to. <laughs> to say it right, yeah, b- yeah that's
2: right. B- before people started probing him on
4: TV, <laughs> 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 <Woo! Yeah. laughs> uh, re-
2: regarding Alan Scott, I mean, overall, what did you? How did your grandfather view Alan Scott, especially as time went on and his role in creating him? How, I'm, I'm assuming he was proud, but did his thoughts, ever, as far as you know, did he? What was a bit, maybe the best way to just ask? it, What were his thoughts on the legacy that he helped create, especially even after? the Golden Age ended and, and we started getting into the Silver Age, you know, basically reinventions of some of, of some of these characters, including Green Lantern. How did he think, how did he feel about his legacy, basically, the Alan Scott legacy?
4: Um, that's a good question. I don't know if I really ever asked him that, which, of course, now <laughs> I wish I had. Um, but I think he was very proud of what he had accomplished. Um, but also, it was kind of, Matter of fact, like I did this. This is just the way my career went. I needed to put food on the table. Um, he was supporting his mother, who had been a widow, um, so and his I think his younger brother as well. Um, so he was supporting his family, and you know he definitely just kind of he would say, you know, I just did what I had to do to put food on the table, and this is what it was. Um, So I think it was kind of, you know, just a matter-of-fact thing. Um, But I definitely think, you know, he knew that he had, you know, I guess a place in comic book history. And the way he interacted with his fans, um, he was obviously very proud of it.
2: That's pretty cool. And obviously it must have, even if he didn't discuss it, it must have been somewhat satisfying just the fact that the concept that he created... Even though obviously once you know they brought Hal in and they kind of changed it for the Silver Age, but still, basically they were building on you know they were his original building blocks. They were just kind of taking it in a different direction at it. So the concept you know just carried forward. So forward. So that was that must have been kind of rewarding too. I would suspect.
4: Yeah, and that always blows my mind. I mean, once in a while I'll just see someone random wearing you know like a, a Hal Jordan shirt or you know some other Green Lantern something, and I'll just be like whoa. Like, that's pretty cool. Like, my grandpa started it all. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, sometimes it just hits me like, whoa. (laughs) You know, so.
2: And you should be proud.
4: Yeah, I'm, you know, we, our family, you know, we just kind of, I grew up in the Midwest and, um, a lot of the other comic book families stayed in New York. So, um, I think it was, it was not something I was ever around other, you know, comic book families you know, on a day-to-day basis in this in New York City. Um, so it definitely, like, it still blows me away. Like, wow, you know, he did this cool thing. And I definitely feel very fortunate. And, you know, whatever stars align to make my parents meet, I,
3: <laughs>
4: I'm very thankful. <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I, I know you had mentioned uh, about his time at Timely and, and doing the Pillsbury. Now, I just wanted to kind of ask, in between him using his his pseudonym uh, at DC to create Alan, and then you know going to Timely doing the Pillsbury thing, how how long and and what uh, how long was his run when he was working with the character until he went and did other things? Because because we all know that. We had uh, all, the All-American, and then we had the Green Lantern Quarterly. Uh, it was mm-hmm. just called Green Lantern. Uh, and then, of course, he went on to uh, appear in All-Star and join the Justice Society. So how long did your grandfather actually work with the character he created?
4: So, and you have to forgive me because I'm, like, totally not a comic book historian. So, <laughs> you know, if I'm flubbing anything... We will make amends <laughs> on the back end. But, uh, we'll edit so, it out.
2: We'll edit it out.
4: <laughs> Alright. Yeah. So, he used the pseudonym, uh, in All American, uh, in that title, and then I believe it was in, uh, Green Lantern 1, uh, the one that you guys are, I believe, gonna talk about later. Um that one, he started using Martin O'Dell because there's actually a feature in there of him and Bill Finger, and he was like, "Okay, they're gonna show a picture of me, so I might as well, you know, put my real name because they're gonna be able to find me anyway." So, <laughs> so he, he started using his his um, real name there, and then he worked on it for. See, I don't even know. We'll have to look it up if um, if anyone can pull up the uh, Grand Comics Database. But um, if he was, I think he did it right up until it was like 1947. So I guess that would have been into um the justice um league but he or yeah i always get justice society um but anyway he was also uh you mentioned erwin hazen earlier um he was a ghost artist for my grandfather and whenever you do see the signatures and bill finger is first that means that uh Erwin Hazen or another artist actually drew the story um, and was ghosting for my grandfather. Um, but if Marty's name is first, then he actually drew it.
1: Oh, okay. So, so your father, your, your grandfather would be listed. But if Bill Finger was first, then uh, it was Irwin or somebody else.
4: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay,
1: okay, that's cool. That's I, I did not know that tricks of the trade in the gold. Yeah.
4: League. Yeah. So that was pretty smart of them to do that. Cause now it's, you know, pretty easy to tell.
1: Did he ever tell, uh, tell you, or, or have you ever been privy to an interview you've seen of him where he talked about the actually the, the creation of the JSA? Because every time I hear somebody talk about the creation of the justice league, they make it sound like it's the first team book. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, it's a, and it's a huge deal. And I'm like, uh, Nice. Guys. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, I, I was just curious if, if he had any input into not only the, the, the story, but, you know, they someone came to him and said, hey, we're going to be doing this team book, and would you want your character to be part of it?
4: No, I don't know anything really about that. I can't, I'm trying to remember of the many interviews um, I've seen and heard about. I really don't think he had much involvement with that decision at that point it probably would have been all editorial and um at that point so um he was quite busy with um just doing you know all the pages um so i don't think he would have had much in the way of a decision about that
1: now when when the comics code authority was created of course and and everybody's heard me go off on this when i when i uh do the Green Lantern Green Arrow spinoff. Uh, but for those of you who don't listen to that spinoff, uh, when the Comics Code Authority was created, it was created as a result of the Senate Subcommittee trials on juvenile delinquency. And a lot of people mistakenly refer to those as the trial on comics. It was actually, there was a couple of days set aside for comics, yes, but it was a bunch of different things. Um, but was he a, a, a part of that? Did he ever actually receive any? Flack you uh, you know I know that there was a book and I know that you're uh, a, a romance comics uh, uh, person and, and you, you said not a comics historian, but have you have you read the Ten cent plague by uh, David Haddo hedge Stewart? Yes,
3: okay. I have mm-hmm.
1: and there's a big list in the end of that book which shows all the people who never worked in comics again after that point. and did he ever receive any flack uh, that he told you about any people? You know, protesting or giving him crap about you know if they actually did find him, find out he worked in comics.
4: No, I don't think so. I mean, he he was worried about it definitely when he started, um, and that's why he used a pseudonym. But I don't think he ever had any um, you know any anyone say anything about it. Um, not that he ever discussed, um, but he. Left um, comics in like 1950, so it would have been
3: right before, before all that. Yeah,
4: so he had he stayed in it longer. It's possible he would have, but not that I ever heard him talk about.
3: Mm-hmm. Did
1: he ever get involved in any any comics projects uh, after that? In the in the Silver and Modern Age, I know that Alan showed up, and like for instance, I own Green Lantern number 40, where uh, Alan shows up for the first time in the and the Silver Age run of Green Lantern. Uh, so did, did he ever get involved in any of those appearances or anything? Because, like, I know he did, uh, what was it, issue number 19? Yes. Uh, after, in, for the 50th anniversary of Green Lantern? Yeah,
4: yeah he did that one, and um, I know he did a few things um, once he was sort of, I guess you could say, rediscovered um, in the late 70s, um, I know people had unfortunately had thought he had like passed away um <laughs> when he but he had just gone to advertising um he was like no I'm alive so um he did you know do a few things but primarily um it was relegated to conventions and doing commissions um and that sort of thing
1: yeah uh, unfortunately a lot of creators uh, can't get that uh uh, a lot. Like I was, I was at the, my local comic shop the other day, telling people how excited I was that Steve Rude was doing a Kickstarter for Nexus and the Moth. And someone went, "Isn't Steve Rude dead?" And oh. I was, "Are you?" Uh, "No, <laughs> you <laughs> he's helping better. run a Kickstarter right now."
4: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I unfortunately will be <laughs> done
1: by the time this posts. But uh, hopefully, it got funded because I love me some Nexus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark, do you have a question?
2: A question I had as I'm trying to do research. Do our, and try to answer some of our research questions. So, all three of us as we're trying to get answers to some of the questions, uh, multitasking, completely unre- completely unrelated to um, the comic code or anything. And you can't choose Alan Scott. So, who would you who would who would be your favorite Green Lantern? Since you can't pick Alan Scott, if you wanted to.
4: <laughs> oh, and well, why? And why?
1: Was there ever a point where Doi B. Dickles got put the ring?
4: <laughs> <laughs> pop out. No. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That would be well, a pop out. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I think John Stewart is interesting. Um, I don't know. I've never really gotten into. I'm horrible. Like, I'm not that into superheroes. Isn't that horrible? No, um, <laughs> I've always gravitated towards the non-superhero books, obviously, because I study romance comics. Um, but I guess I love I do love uh Silver Age comic books, so I guess my my pick for favorite would be Hal Jordan.
3: Yay! No. <laughs> yeah,
4: but as far as uh Golden Age Green Lantern, just the other characters, um, I would have to pick Molly Maine, the Harlequin, because mm. she's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that, did, did he, did he establish, your grandfather established that relationship or was that done afterwards? I don't remember where that all happened. I guess she was a villain and then yeah. became that, but...
4: Well, was... from what I remember, she like wanted to be Green Lantern's girlfriend, so she was like, I'm gonna turn to a life of crime so he'll notice me. <laughs>
1: Star sapphire anybody? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
4: So, um, but yeah, I don't think he, I'm not sure to what extent his involvement was with creating her or, um, you know, but I have seen illustrations that he's done of her, um, but I'm not sure how she came into the mix exactly.
3: Yeah.
1: Now, Mark, Mark you, you you were looking on Grand Comics database to see how long he was on GL, right?
2: Yes. What did you find? It looks like he was on from 1940
3: to 1947. Yeah, which basically
2: goes pretty much jibes exactly with what you thought. But he's when he when he started transitioning from 47 to 50, so that would kind of make sense.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Cool.
1: Now I wanted I wanted to ask, I, I, and I, we don't want to monopolize too much of your time, of course. Uh, oh, you fine. But <laughs> uh, we we I wanted to ask, you know. If, and it's sort of a really open ended question, but you attended a lot of conventions with him, uh, and your grandmother, and I wanted to know if you had any, like, great stories, whether it be with, uh, your grandfather while you were at the con, especially as you kind of got to understand a little better what it was all about, or if, if it was involving your grandfather, but, you know, some of his, You know, fellow coworkers from the Golden Age. You know, (laughs) piped in and said something. You know, or you know, Irwin Hayeson leading over and whispering, "You know, your grandfather did this." You know, or something like that.
4: Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of different memories. Um, well, for one, my family—they always they called me Mini Mart, (laughs) 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 and I I was known in my family for basically being like a little doppelganger of him. Um, as far as like. Uh. Being, we both were are very, I guess I still am, and he was, like, very precise and, like, wanting things, like, a certain way. And, like, he'd always want his drawing board a certain way and his markers, you know, lined up a certain way. And that's how I was. And apparently, when I was very small, I was very much like him, so they called me Mini Mart. Um, But I do remember, um, like one time I was this we were actually at their house in Florida where they lived after they retired after he retired from advertising and um, I was in his studio and I was I danced you know like most little girls and I was like could you please draw a, a ballet shoe a point shoe and he was like okay so he drew one and it was very cartoony and it looked... I mean, if you can imagine, you know, he was probably just like, oh, I'm going to draw, you know, Alan Scott's like shoes with, you know, make it look a little more, you know, ballet-ish. And, um, I just, I read him the riot act. I was like, this is not a ballet shoe. Um, this looks too cartoony and I wanted you to draw it realistic. So, and I remember like, redraw that, please. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Out of all the editors he ever
4: had, (laughs) his own
1: granddaughter was the most demanding.
4: Exactly, and he—I remember him like explaining to me like the kind of artist he was, and um, you know, and that was what he did. So he really was not, you know, like a a realistic painter or anything like that. So um, he dealt with it well. But um, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, I've got so many stories. Like I remember a lot of times we'd get bored at conventions and um wow. <laughs> <laughs> we would pull up behind our the table we would pull up i would always pull up like two chairs and i would sleep and i remember one time i i was sleeping and this was in the early 90s so i must have been like i don't know 6 or 7 years old and i felt someone you know tapping my shoulder and being like wake up wake up you shouldn't be asleep wake up and it was Todd McFarlane, <laughs> and I didn't know who he was, but I was just like, leave me alone, I'm like I'm sleeping. But, <laughs> but um, I did have the opportunity to meet a whole lot of great people, um, and a lot of people um, I wish I had talked to more. Um, and you know, little did I know that eventually I would have such a great interest in. Um, you know, these people and these artists, and a lot of them were also, you know, romance comic book artists. So, you know, now I kick myself for, you know, not talking to them as much as I would have liked. But also, I mean, uh, what would I have asked them when I was, you know, 10 years old? So, oh, well. (laughs) Um, But my grandmother uh, would always... They would start these sketchbooks for us, and they always wanted us to take a sketchbook around to the different artists. And my grandmother was very uh, – she was very forceful, I guess, and she would be like, just tell them who you are, you know. And i feel <laughs> like, oh, I don't want to do that, you know. So I really would never go get these sketchbooks drawn in by different artists, because I was just too nervous, and and now I'm like, oh, why didn't I do that? but And then other ones, I did have people drawing them, and then I would, like, tear out the pages and, like, uh, tape, tape them to my walls and, you know, things like that, so a lot of things are, are gone, but... <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's
1: great. Like, I mean, uh, you know, I, I really wish I could have met him, but there, are, there are a, there's a small handful of people I could, you know, I wish I could have met. Like, uh, uh, Julia Schwartz is one of my heroes. <laughs> yeah. And I wish I could have met him. Did you ever meet, you know, people like Julie or, or things like that?
4: Um, I don't remember meeting Julie, but it's very possible uh, that I did. But I, I do remember um, Shelly Moldoff very well he was always at the conventions um i remember um nick Cardi. um i talked to him a lot and i i loved him and i had such a crush like and i still do on um, i just thought they were so cute nick Cardi and um murphy anderson mm-hmm. i just i and it was murphy anderson's birthday the other day um and i was remembering how much of i just thought they were so cute when they would be on the panel with my grandfather and um those were my comic book crushes <laughs>
1: <laughs> murphy anderson if i remember right he was a uh, because i have the the same ca- cards that you do the, okay the the, yeah. the, the the comic book creator but then again all those photos look weird <laughs> yeah
4: <laughs> Yeah, you, yeah.
1: you, you up to me, though. You got the binder. I can't find that for the life of me. <laughs> yeah,
4: well, those, um, my dad actually dug them out of somewhere, and he just sent them to me. Um, he actually sent it to me with, it was with something else, and um, I guess that was just kind of an afterthought. But, of course, in the package, that was the most, you know, exciting thing to me. Um, so that was really great. Uh, so that's an almost complete set. So we'll have to get together, Chad. And oh
1: yeah, I told you I, I have got, I have doubles. I totally forgot about that.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I, I've,
1: I've got them right here in front of me. I can actually go through those and tell you what doubles I have. You got the checklist ready? <laughs> well, they, they they come with the checklist. I'm actually. sure they do.
4: It's like baseball cards. Yeah, and they're all numbered and everything.
1: Yeah, so. for for those of you who don't know, we're talking about this this uh, these cards that I, I think. Okay, I'm looking at them now. Copyright 1992, uh, famous comic book creators, and it was like. Uh, what is this? A hundred and something, uh, it says. Uh, let's see, I got the checklist here in front of me. Uh, it's, uh, no, yeah, a hundred, a hundred and ten, uh, including the checklist, uh, cards of famous comic book creators. I mean, there's like Scott McCloud, Reed, uh, Reed, whatever. I, I just, uh, they're upside down. Whatever. Uh, Jack Kirby and, and Martin O'Dell is in here. <laughs> and, uh, so is like uh, Julie Schwartz and Joe Staten and, and all these things. And I, I found out about him because Jackie had posted a couple of pictures, or a friend of hers had posted some pictures on Facebook that had – a card signed by Martin, and I was just like, "What are these? Where do
3: I find them?" And like
1: within two weeks of you of you being tagged in that photo, I had all of them.
4: <laughs> That's
1: awesome. Yeah,
4: I think I have most of them in that binder, but not all. But yeah, the pictures are just great, and um, I think the picture of my grandfather it really it's a good one. I think despite the like cheesy background it has, it's it's a good picture of him, and he was definitely um, very. As, for as funny as he was, he was equally serious and studious, and I think that picture really captured it.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, we'll have to trade or something, you know? You yeah. To, uh, assign something of your uh, your grandfather. <laughs> I, I think I'm getting the better end of the deal, though, if I just say, oh, i got extras of this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, uh, I'll,
2: g- I'll give you seven Stan Lees for that card, come on! <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh no, but anyways, uh now Mark, do you have any questions before we move forward?
2: I was gonna transition to ask her about sequential crush, because right? I thought this might be the like we said, as 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 we start moving on in the evening and like you said, you didn't want to keep keep her forever, so I figured it was be that might be the time unless there were other things you wanted to ask before we go that way. <laughs>
1: Well, I I did want to ask, and I know you 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 know you saw you were talking about like Murphy Anderson and everything, you know, kind of interacting with with your grandfather. I wanted to know if there were ever times where, and I know you didn't really know at the time who the like, for instance, you didn't know who Todd McFarlane was and, and things like that. But can you recall any times where you were just kind of in awe of the people who came up to your grandfather and were in awe of him, not just the the fans, but like. You know, I'm, let's say, I'm, I'm a big Denny O'Neill person, and I've interviewed him twice. And still, every time I see or talk to him, I still get flabbergasted. So was there, was there ever a time that, you know, a person that you were familiar with came up and was just in awe of your grandfather? And you're just like, oh, holy crap. <laughs> this, well, is, this is clearly a big deal.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know... You know, lots of creators really loved him, um, especially, you know, the younger creators who, you know, kind of looked to him as for inspiration. Um, but I do remember hearing that, and of course this wasn't isn't someone I ever met, but um, I remember at some point hearing that Francis Ford Coppola really liked Green Lantern and was inspired by the Green Lantern, um, and it sounded particularly like from Alan Scott. And so that like kind of blew me away. Like whether that's true or not, um, if Do someone from his uh, <laughs> team could let us know. Um, but I've heard that, and that kind of blew me away. Because um, that's kind of a different world, you know, filmmaking. So
1: right, exactly. Yeah, I was just curious, you know, if they you know, because I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if like Denny O'Neill walked up to him, and it was like. you're amazing (laughs) you know or anything like that because i know i know that a lot of those you know i've seen so many documentaries and things about the the comics industry and you know even at the time that you know denny o'neill and and those and that crew were in comics and kind of reinventing the game it hadn't yet been reinvented to the point where everybody was accepting of it so you know they they had to have been reading you know your your grandfather's issues when they were kids and you know if Once they hit the convention circuit and then saw the writers of the comics they read as kids on there, they might have kind of freaked out a little bit.
4: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I know I've talked a lot to uh, Roy Thomas, who did some great interviews with my grandfather. um, and
1: Tomorrow's publications, guys. Great. Yep.
4: And, you know, I know he had a lot of interaction with him, um, so I know he's always you know, said really good things, and, and I really, I mean, I really haven't ever heard anyone, you know, thankfully, say anything, you know, bad, I think him and my grandmother, you know, were pretty much beloved by all, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, 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 they they seem so humble, like, and I, i and, you know, just because I keep going back to this, this reference to the Joe Staten thing, he had nothing on his table, there was no giant banner that said Joe Staten, you know, or anything like that, it was just. It was it was just like uh, I'm here, (laughs) (laughs) and you you either recognize the name on the little placard on the card or you don't. And it's not like he had a big head about it. And every time every time I see a comics creator at a comic uh, at a comic convention, especially the older ones, I love that you can always tell because they'll have their wives with them or something like that, which is really cool. You don't see the newer creators doing that that
3: often.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I know at uh, one convention I felt so embarrassed, but I was quite young. I don't I think I was like in middle school or something and um I was talking to this woman and she was saying something about her husband and she was like, Oh yeah, Jean this Jean that and I was like, Oh, is your husband a comic book artist? Like and she's like, Oh yeah, Jean Colin like, <laughs> I was like oh okay and then like later i was like oh my gosh gene colon so (laughs) but yeah i mean i think people in for the most part people in the comic book industry are fantastic wonderful people um and i think there are so many people that are humble and approachable and that's why i really love the industry and i love going to comic book conventions because everyone is just so nice. And, um, and I hope, you know, you guys have found the same thing, too, you know, mm-hmm. for the most part. so There are a
1: couple people who act a little big for their britches, but they're not people who... I mean, they're they're people I obviously made an effort to go up and talk to and get to know because I know them in some regard, but it was never somebody... That I idolize, you know, like Denny O'Neill, you know, it's not like I walk into Denny O'Neill and Denny O'Neill's an ass. (laughs) You know, he's, he's a great guy. (laughs) So I've, I haven't yet reached the point where I'm disappointed.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you did, um, this is referring to your earlier question. If anyone said they were really inspired by him, um, but I believe, uh, Daryl Banks, who, uh, he drew, Green Lantern at some point.
1: He's actually um, a friend of ours. On our, he's been on our show several times.
4: Yeah, I, he. I remember him talking to my dad and I and just telling us, you know, how he was inspired by him, and he was just beyond nice, and so I'm glad he's a friend of the show.
3: So. Yeah, he's. He,
1: Daryl's, Daryl's really nice and humble, and he's one of those those people who had, like, a. Mark, it was like a, a, a like what, you think 10 years in, in, in comics and then just kind of fell off and went into actually advertising, yes, right? Yes,
2: most of, mostly what he, I think, but Daryl does now is advertising. Not that he's like, he does still some comic stuff. He's not against doing comic stuff. And obviously, we know he does commissions because I have I have like about six in my house. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah Daryl's a, Daryl's a great guy. So as soon as you said Daryl, I kind of smile because that's not really his, it's pretty much in character for Daryl. So it's, it's not surprising.
4: Yeah, yeah, and definitely, like, I think people definitely get a reputation, um, you know, for being really approachable, and, um, you know, there are a lot of people at the conventions that are, so, and I try to be the same way, Um, you know, I hope to, you know, someday go to conventions and set up a table, um, which you know I'll tell you guys more about in a second here, um, but I do hope you know that I'll have people come and talk to me, and I always try to be as approachable as I saw that my grandfather was um, because I really did admire that about him. It's a great way to be. Thank you.
2: So, Jackie, so talk. <laughs> let's talk about sequential crushing. And the relationship you have with romance comics, so to speak.
4: (laughs) Yeah. All right. So um, I have a blog called Sequential Crush, and uh, you can just find it by typing in uh, www.sequentialcrush.com. And I focus on 1960s and 70s romance comic books. And um, I've been doing that since, 2009, and um, the blog, um, really, I wanted to get involved in the comic book industry in some way, and I was in graduate school, and I was actually studying primarily uh, Holocaust history, and I was really going that route along with uh, museum studies, and uh, that just you know, it just was too sad, and I was like, I can't, I just knew, like, a lifetime of studying that was going to be very draining um, emotionally. So I was o- already going to comic book conventions, and um, I really uh, got interested in the romance comics and just fell in love with them, and I really saw a need for uh, that period the 1960s and 70s to be covered on the internet because I really didn't see much there there really was n- not a lot of talk about um, that those two decades of the romance comics that I saw so I was like I'm gonna start a blog and and I had no idea what I was doing because um, I really had never blogged before and I just kind of did it and um, luckily people really seem to dig it and um, I've got a great audience and uh, so many great readers and um, I've been blogging um, you know for such a long time and I definitely want I've been wanting to you know take it to the next step which would be writing a book um, so I've been working on a book for a while now um, longer than I would I wish I was done but I'm I'm nearing the, the finish line, um, in many ways. Um, and I hope to have a Kickstarter going hopefully by this winter, um, and raise money for that. Um, and so I can self publish um, a book and it'll be about uh dating advice in the romance comic um and let's see what else can i tell you so uh like we talked about earlier i was on history detective and i uh go to conventions and i talk about uh i've given panels and talks about the romance comics and um also my grandfather and sometimes um somehow danny fingeroff and i came up with a panel for last year's uh wizard world nashville um, interweaving the two, so that was kind of interesting. <laughs> um, somehow we made Green Lantern and romance comics fit together very nicely, and I gave a talk on that. Um, but yeah, I see myself in the future writing a book about my grandfather. Um,
1: I saw that post the other day. Twenty twenty is your goal, Jackie.
4: <laughs> I know. So that gives me five years. So that hopefully that'll be enough time. But um, he uh, actually this November. Uh, this upcoming November, he would have been 100 years old. Oh, wow. And he was born uh, November 15th, uh, 1915. And originally, years ago, I was like, oh, it would be so cool to have a book about him out for his 100th birthday, which coincides with the 75th anniversary. But unfortunately, it didn't work out. Um, but I'm shooting for 2020. All right, Chad, and I, I need you guys to hold me to it.
1: We'll will hold you to it. And you said you. I'm making. I'm actually making a note on my phone right now. You said November fifteenth was his birthday, and he'll be a yeah. hundred. Maybe yeah. we should. Maybe we should do. It's far enough ahead, Mark. You want to do like a like a golden age episode then?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Cool. Yeah, let's oh. do that. You want to join us for that?
4: Hey, sure. My God, <laughs> I
1: mean, you, you were going to write a whole book by then, so.
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Want... This will
2: be a chapter for you right there.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, my. My dad has a lot of his um, work that is not comic books. So his like advertising work, and he did a lot of caricatures and all sorts of other really neat artwork. And so in my book, you know, of course, I'll talk about the comics, but I want to I want to showcase the other work he did. So hopefully, uh, you know, in the next five years, I can get that all together. So, <laughs> but we'll see. You never know um, what'll happen. I had a brief interlude where I moved to Europe and. You know, I got kind of off track as far as working on my book, um, and then I came back to the States. And um, But I've been really trying to get that book um, about the dating advice off the ground. So I'm hoping, like I said, I'll have a Kickstarter out by winter or maybe even earlier. But I'll keep you guys updated. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, for sure. Sounds good. Now, uh, you actually kind of you actually kind of already. uh, I I told Mark I was gonna. I had a question to follow up with, but you 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 (laughs) threw yourself under the bus and said twenty (laughs) twenty
3: for your book (laughs) on
1: your grandfather. (laughs) <laughs> so, so go ahead, Mark She, already, she right, already answered my question. Right
2: in time for the, the for the next movie, maybe That's right. in theory. The next, yeah,
4: <laughs> <laughs> we can hope. We'll, we'll try. Could, yeah, be another,
2: could be another big Green Lantern here. Probably it'll just be your book and no movie.
4: <laughs> yeah, we'll see. So who
2: knows? It all
1: it all rides on Batman versus Superman.
2: Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Uh, to a large yeah. extent. Uh, what I was gonna it was I don't know if it's as much of a question as a follow up, but I think what you're doing with the romance comics, it's, it's certainly very, I think it's very important because it's, it's, when you think, when people think about it, especially if you, people who have been reading comics for a long time, there's lots of different genres of books that kind of like, basically come and go. They have their time mm-hmm. frame that, in which they're really, really big, whether it's like Western comics, whether it's sci-fi comics, whether it's war comics. And for a lot, to a large extent, you know, once those, you know, the time periods, you know, move Move and they fade and that fades away. It's really easy for people to forget, you know, how big they were and how important they are and influential they, they were at the time. And that's why I think what you're doing is important because, I mean, there were a lot, you know, even even mystery and horror comics. I mean, you think about yeah. House of Mystery and and Unexpected and all those things that were really big, even in the '70s into the early '80s. And now you're, you're hard pressed to ever have a real horror comic, war comics. Whenever they start them back up at DC, they never work. Westerns pretty much follow the same. So it's kind of important yeah. to remember,
4: definitely. And they, I mean, they were such a big genre. Um, they were created in, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys know the history, but uh, Simon and Kirby created the genre in uh, 1947 and there were really so many uh not just women but you know everyone was reading the romance comics and they were very very popular um and uh and i love those books i really do but i've always gravitated towards the 60s and 70s ones um just because um first of all i love the art and uh there's so many great stories uh, like there's that jim staranko story that is just really psychedelic and um you start in those stories you know the women's movement and race relations and um you know different topics like that drugs and um actually probably this week i'll be talking about a story um uh, about a girl that is a bit of an alcoholic <laughs> so you know issues like that um Come up in the sixties and seventies, and I really, really like those issues, and that's why I chose to focus on that time period.
2: Yeah, that was now, a big cultural. Sorry, Chad. Uh, no, just culture, because culturally, yes, that that was a huge change going from this, especially from the late sixties into the into the into the seventies. It was just a big cult cultural shift. So obviously, like it's pretty much everything you you mentioned about you know. uh Drugs, sexual revolution, race, everything, just a whole different, so, and plus, yes, the books that were drawn in the 60s and 70s especially were really beautiful, so you combine all that, it certainly would, it makes sense that that would be a time period that would be particularly interesting to read.
4: Definitely, and, you know, as far, and I'm sure you guys have heard of the uh, new romance anthology that's out um, from a new publisher called Rosie Press, but they're doing a digital anthology called Fresh Romance. And so um, I encourage anyone that's interested in, you know, modern romance stories to check that out. And I actually have an article uh, in the issue two that just came out um, at the end of June, and that's about uh, the, the fashion in the 1960s and 70s romance comic books. Nice. So there's a little plug for that.
1: <laughs> now, now for those for those who who are interested in like checking out the the romance genre, and we're not talking to the people who are like ooh mushy that we're you know clearly we're not going to interest you in romance comics and probably don't want you to read them anyways uh, if that's your attitude. But it since since the sci fi superhero genre has so many different aspects to it, you know you've you've got. Uh, more grounded ones, more silly ones, you know, you've got, uh, you know, more philosophical ones, you know, you've got things as varied as Walking Dead and Saga and, and, and things like that. Um, what would you say to someone who is interested in these these crazy comics uh, that they love so much, but still are leery about getting into and trying things like romance comics because they think it's just kind of a one-track road?
4: Well, I would say... um Romance, I mean, it's part of all of our lives, you know, for the most part. Whether we have it, or we're trying to get it, or Mm -hmm, we're (laughs) working on it, or we're having issues in it. Right there. um, (laughs) (laughs) It's something that we can all identify with as humans. And the thing is, the romance comics, from the 60s and 70s are very much about dating and aspirations for marriage and, you know, all that sort of um, mid-century kind of stuff. But they're also about, you know, do I stay true to who I am or do I change who I am for someone I love or um, do I follow my career passions? Or do I, you know, follow this person that I think I'm falling in love with? And that sort of thing. So I think there are stories that are just very human. um, And we can all relate to that aren't just mushy, mushy, I'm in love, you know, that sort of thing. And they're mostly about heartbreak. um, You know, and I think we can all You know, we've all been heartbroken at some point, and we all experience heartbreak, um, you know, with other people in our lives. And for as much as these romance comics are about love relationships, um, you know, like boyfriend-girlfriend, they also have a lot to do with parents and the relationships between parents and children and also friends. Um, So I think people would find them interesting for those reasons.
1: Now, do you have any comics that you would recommend as, as you know, things that someone who's leery about getting into that, that genre that would probably hook them? You know how people who are leery about, you know, who want to try comics but don't know what to try, people always go, you know, read Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns and Sandman and things like that. Uh, do Do you have any recommendations in terms of romance on the romance side of things?
4: Well, um, as far as the vintage ones, I have to say, take a look at my website, Sequential Crush, <laughs> um, <laughs> because I tr- I really try to make them accessible to people who um, are not in the know of them, and I try to present them so that they're appealing to people who enjoy history and people who enjoy comic books and people who um, I know a lot of people who um, write actual romance novels, and um, I've met a lot of people um, from doing my blog uh, in that genre, and they are very interested in that as well, even though, you know, they really don't deal with, you know, artwork in their novels, Um, but I would say starting with my website is a good way to get into them. now, the problem with the romance comics is they are somewhat hard to find. Um, you know, you want to, if you were going to collect them, you'd want to go to comic book conventions or, of course, you know, they're going to be on eBay. As far as um, a collection, um, there really hasn't been a good one that's been put out that's like in full color Um, that is not out of print. There was one in the 70s that was done called Heartthrobs, um, but it's hard to find because it's out of print. Um, But I guess um, there was a showcase that DC did, and it's in black and white. So that would be one way to start. Um, And another book I would suggest would be, um, I believe it's by John... Benson, but it's called Romance Without Tears, and that is about the, uh, the St. John romance comics. So it's a little earlier, but, um, the, that is one, a book that you could just find on Amazon, a collection of the romance comics, I think would be really great, a great starting point for someone, um, because those stories, um, he basically made, uh, curated this collection of stories that, um, like the title says, romance without tears of the, the main character, um, you know, not being completely obliterated by heartbreak. So I think a lot of people would like that.
1: Was there um, was there reprints? Because I know, like, Dark Horse was doing, reprinting some EC stuff for a little while, uh, and I know that there are, because uh, I get previews for free from my LCS um, uh, every month, and I know that there's in the past several months to a year been some solicits of people putting out like slipcase versions of golden age collections and and things like that uh like I got um that old vampire series out of night uh in that in that version uh has there been very uh, many romance kind of done in that way
4: there's been um what was it fantagraphics Fix, I believe it was put out the Young Romance Volume One and Two, mm-hmm. and um, Volume Two came out not that long ago. And I would definitely suggest that as well. It's in full color and it's really beautiful. And um, so that is a good one to start with as well. But those are again the older stories from the forties.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So Jack, you actually kind of seg- you kind of seg- gave us a natural segue into this a little bit ago because you were talking about. Um, the holocaust. You know, how studying studying the history of the Holocaust and everything, or that that time for that you were kind of interested in that time that time frame. Just, mm-hmm. uh, that time period probably was going to be a little too basically depressing to just focus it on for long periods of time, which would which is understandable. But but in general, you're obviously you're a historian and you're really big into history. So in so what so what periods interest you the most and Talk about your museum work and everything else. So feel however you want to approach it. Feel free. <laughs> sure.
4: Well, um, there I'm definitely an American history um, fan. Um, I when I did live in Europe, I you know tried to learn about all the monarchies and things, and I just found it not that interesting. Um, <laughs> 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 but um, I love. Um, immigration history, um, because my grandfather, so Marty, his mother and his father, who I really don't know much about his father, um, but his mother came over to the United States, um, from the Ukraine and uh, you know, went through Ellis Island. So I find that history really interesting as well. Um and um I also I'm gonna chalk it up to those darn American girl dolls, but I've always been interested in um pioneer history and um you know westward movement, um and I loved I still have my uh Kirsten doll um <laughs> and my Addie doll. So I was always interested in um the mid uh nineteenth century. That's very interesting to me. Um as well as um now as I get older, um I thought it was boring when I was in graduate school, but um, I've been definitely more interested in labor history, especially now with, you know, it's just helps me understand what's going on now with, you know, the current political situation. Um, but I find labor history to be very interesting. Um, and other than that, I love, um, you know, the World War II, Cold War, 60s and 70s. That's the 60s and 70s is uh, my sweet spot, I guess you could say, so mm-hmm. Um, and then, as far as the museum work, um, I uh, was formally trained um, in museums, and um, I worked, I had the opportunity to work at the Smithsonian, um, and at the National Air and Space Museum, and I also worked um, at the Indiana State Museum at one of their historic sites, and actually the first time I was on uh lantern cast so i was living in this small little rural town in the middle of nowhere in indiana um, working at this historic site and that was actually a site um, where these um, a utopian um, community had been built in 1814 uh, so that was i learned quite a bit about that history and that was very interesting um and then when i moved to denmark i actually worked uh for lego in their corporate museum and archives nice Jelly.
2: that must have been interesting
4: <laughs> that was really great um, so i basically just digitized their collection of advertisements and so i just looked at old lego sets and advertisements all day long so that was <laughs> i was very fortunate to have had that experience um and unfortunately, right now, um, I am not working in the museum. Um, the market for that sort of thing is just really bad right now due to the economy. So I'm um, really, I wrote a post about it actually, about like me, like, forgetting museums and, you know, being done with that for now. Um, but if the opportunity ever presents itself, I would definitely do that again. But I definitely view Sequential Crush basically as an e-museum, and I try to write my posts as if I were uh, writing and curating an exhibit. So I definitely, you know, stay in touch with it that way. And um, I would love to do uh, an exhibit someday about uh, the romance comics. I think that would be really fascinating. It would just be a matter of finding the right venue for that.
0: Very nice. New York for that.
4: (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) <laughs> Museum of Modern Art or something.
4: Yeah, unfortunately, I'm I live in Nashville now, and yeah, it's all country music. You know, there's not really a big. Um, we do have one of the Wizard shows, um, but other than that, there's not really a whole lot of comic book stuff um, going on, unfortunately. So everything I do, you know, thank goodness for the internet. <laughs> And you know, so it makes it easy to stay connected with people that way.
1: What would we got a lot of people who listen to our show who are bloggers and and, and just kind of a final question. What would you say to those who have uh, who really have a passion for blogging but have kind of fallen off the wagon? <coughs> Myself, um, <laughs> I've got like four, <laughs> but the one I want to keep up is actually. I know you said you're not a big superhero person, but I run a blog about Ragman. Okay. Uh, and, uh, I love that character, uh, and, but I, I'm trying to do it in a way that I can chronicle every single appearance of Ragman, which isn't too
3: hard. Um, <laughs> but,
1: but, but it, it gets, it gets really frustrating, especially when you, when I start having to scan comics and my scanner takes forever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just like so, like you, you're, you have passion for it, but it's just like, oh my god, I have to slog through all this, so tedious and boring crap before I actually get to the fun stuff, like actually sitting down to write an entry.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a lot of work scanning those comic books. I mean, I, I everything that I post, unless otherwise noted, uh, comes from my own collection, and so I scan everything, and um, it is extremely time-consuming. And back when I started the blog, I was doing, like, a ton of posts every month, Um, You know, because I was really excited about it. And um, it was like I slept like three hours every night because I just like sequential crush. But now I'm a little (laughs) older. Like once I turned 30, I was like, oh, my gosh, I need sleep. Um, So, um, you know, and working full time, you really do have to balance. Uh, you know the blogging but I would say to bloggers I think it's best to really focus on one project so I really like what you have going on there with one specific character and I think that um, as far as the scanning you know when I'm scanning I throw on you know Netflix on my iPad and I just try to you know make it fun and I've gotten to the point where I really uh, scanning it's like kind of soothing like I don't really see it as work but it's definitely soothing and something I look forward to um, but I think honing in like you're doing and what I do with a very specific time period is a good way to do it and then also just staying dedicated I mean I think if it's a priority in your life uh, you will definitely you know stick with it and I think blogging has changed from, you know, what it was, you know, maybe when I started where it was really the, you know, quantity you want to put out a post, multiple posts every day. I've heard of the term slow blogging. And I think, you know, bloggers are getting tired. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I know, for me, it's been really hard to maintain that pace. So I've really had to go to a quality over quantity and I'd rather do, you know, one or two, you know, very thorough posts a month over, you know, just some quick posts, which I still do occasionally, um, but um I think also microblogging and, you know, throwing stuff out there on Instagram and Twitter and all that, which by the way, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, um My handle is just my name, Jackie, J-A-C-Q-U-E, Nodell, N-O-D-E-L-L. So just my name there for Instagram and Twitter. And then also I've had a lot of fun um, microblogging on the Sequential Crush Facebook group. So just look up uh, Sequential Crush on Facebook. You'll find a group there. And I've really tried to um, supplement the longer blogs with um, like a panel um, like today I put one out there um, so I try to do that a couple times a week and that definitely keeps you know the energy flowing and helps me you know interact with people that way but yeah I mean when you're a blogger there's a lot of you know tedious stuff you have to do and um, but it's all all worth it I feel like it's all worth it and for me I think having that goal of Putting out a book or something bigger really helps that energy and that momentum.
1: Yeah, the blog to stay limber, the book, the ultimate goal, kind of a thing.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So
1: awesome. Well, you mentioned your you mentioned your uh, Instagram page and and, and Facebook uh, group. So you know, uh, since we're coming up uh, on a little over an hour now, I wanted to give you a chance to kind of you know tell people how to get a hold of you, how to check out your various things. I know. Uh, now I had seen, uh, and I can edit this part out if it's, if it's not ready to go, but I had seen, was it your, uh, boyfriend or someone was telling you to set up kind of like a, a public page so people can figure out how to contact you? Is that all ready to go?
4: No, well, <laughs> uh, Jim, my boyfriend, was like, why don't you have a press page? Like, <laughs> what's your deal? And he like actually bet me like five dollars that I would have it done by tomorrow and, I'm not done yet, so I'm gonna have to give them five dollars <laughs> so, a couple hours I know I know so well, you know i I have an about me page um so I do have my email address on there, but when I do get this press page, which hopefully I'll be done with it like by early next week because. Otherwise, he's going to be really mad at me. Well, this, um. <laughs> this won't
1: post till the end of July, so we can, we can put a link to it on the website. Okay.
4: Great, yeah. So I'll have all the ways to get in touch with me there. Um It's kind of, unfortunately, um, you know, I'm definitely more into the history and the actual comic books more so than web design. And you will see that my blog is, it's like exactly the same as it was from day one. And I eventually would love to have a more modern site, but... um you know, that takes money and time and all that. So, at this juncture, it's the old format, um, but I will do my best to get that up there um, so that everybody can find me. But um, if you just Google uh, Sequential Crush or Jackie Nodell, you should be able to find me.
3: Awesome. Very nice. But, again,
4: I'll, I'll just let you know, yeah, so, again, the website, sequentialcrush.com, Twitter... In, and Instagram are Jackie Nodell, and then the Facebook group is Sequential Crush.
1: Awesome. Well, Jackie, we wanted to thank you for coming on. Uh, it was awesome to have you. I know that you don't, I, I, I don't, I know that you don't, uh, you're not a big superhero uh, uh, historian person, but we we definitely felt that the Green Lantern 75th wouldn't be complete without having you on. Um well,
4: thank you and um i i want to thank you guys um and lantern cast because you guys do such a great job of not only preserving the memory of green lantern as a whole and all the green lantern characters but uh you do such a good job remembering alan scott in particular and i feel like he kind of gets left out of things and that makes me sad. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> but I I think that you guys do such a good job of remembering him and Green Lantern. So I just want to thank you guys. You're very welcome.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. We, we, we love doing it. I mean, we do it for free. <laughs> out of our own time, and we wouldn't do it if we didn't love the characters. Awesome.
4: Well, I hope people, I, I hope you have a donation page up, and I hope people donate to you, so. <laughs>
1: we, we actually don't. In six years, oh my- <laughs> I don't think we've ever done a donation button. Like, we've toyed, we've toyed with the idea, but we didn't know, like, how we would use it if we put it towards, you know, website fees, or, like, you know, if we got more than it costs to run the website, would we buy ourselves equipment to run a better show? And how do we feel okay about spending other people's money on stuff for us to, you know, like, it was just so, yeah.
4: so weird and <laughs> things like that.
1: Uh, so. all right, I
4: hear you. It took me a long time to get there, too. So um, but I think, you know, people want to have a way to, you know, help you out and they want to see you last as a show. So I think people are willing to definitely, you know, give towards making the show last.
1: Well, if anybody's listening to this and you feel that, that that you would like to donate to us, and we we, if we get enough of those people saying that they want to, we'll
2: Keep set it up. Keep those checks but, coming.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I, 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 we just always felt so weird about setting it up and then going, "Oh, by the way, guys, now we have a donate button." Go I know,
4: I know. It's it's difficult, but um, you know, it's uh, I guess as time has gone on, I felt it's for me been necessary just because, you know, I put a ton of time into my site and I know you guys do too. So yeah. Well, it's nice to be compensated for your work.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, again, we we want to thank you so much for coming on. uh, And, you know, know, I know, that you yourself didn't have any particular input in, in, into the creation of green lantern, but you know, just on the behalf of lantern cast and, and our, you know, our fans and stuff, thank you to you and your family for this character that we love so much and that a lot of us, myself included, and and, and a lot of our listeners got into comics in this industry as a whole through Green Lantern. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I am huge and, you know, like I told you, I read the Tencent Plague and now I've got like a copy of Seduction of the Innocent and mm-hmm. I'm big into all that kind of stuff and I, I wouldn't have gotten to that point without Green Lantern.
4: So. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for saying so. That's, it's, it's really touching to know how many people have been affected and, and thanks again to you guys again for preserving the memory of Alan Scott and the Green Lantern.
2: Well, thank you and thank you for coming on. It was a, it was a, definitely was a great episode.
4: Yes. I can't wait to hear it. That's
1: right. <laughs> thank you guys. <laughs> Alright guys, we'll take a break and we'll be right back.
0: Hi. My name is Russell Bragg, and I host the DC Comics Presents Show, a podcast where I talk about the comic book entitled DC Comics Presents, a comic where any member of the DC Comics universe will team up with one of the world's greatest superheroes, a superhero that needs no introduction, a superhero who, no matter in what era you hear the music for, you will know who the music is dedicated to.
5: When you find yourself in danger, when you're threatened by a stranger, when it looks like you will take a (laughs) lickin' There is someone waiting who will hurry up
0: and rescue you, just call for Super Chicken. (laughs) Oops, wrong hero. Yeah, that's better. Uh, where was I? Oh yeah, Superman, DC Comics Presents. In 1978, for Superman's 40th anniversary, DC Comics decided to give him his own team-up book, similar in vain to Brave and Bold. In this book, Superman can team up with any character in the DC Universe, be it friend or foe, hero or villain. And this is a show that talks about each and every issue. There are 97 issues, plus the four annuals. I'll be dedicating an episode to each one individually in date order. If you'd like to find out more about this podcast, go to the show's main website at dcctshow.com. That's SHOW. If you'd like to subscribe to the show, the DC Comics Presents show can be found on iTunes or Stitcher. Hi, this is Ron Mars. You're listening to the Lantern Cast, and I am contractually obligated to tell you this is the best Green Lantern podcast. Yeah. Aquaman and Firestorm
3: Fighting crime together, soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always
0: be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. To stand for truth and justice and see on land,
3: and air. storm, and knock them, and make a super
5: fair. The Fire and Water Podcast. Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas,
4: and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man.
5: Available weekly on Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but...
0: Hi, this is Phil Lamar, John Stewart on Justice League Unlimited and you're listening to The Lantern Cast.
5: Hey listeners, it's Ryan Daly here to give you an exciting sneak peek at the Secret Origins podcast, a review show dedicated to the post-crisis Secret Origins comics. Secret Origins told or retold or occasionally reimagined the origins of many of DC's legendary superheroes, including Superman, Batman, The Flash, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Jonah Hex, Nightwing, Plastic Man, Bad Girl, Black Hawk, Black Lightning, Booster Gold, Detective Chimp, the Legion of superheroes and a hundred others but i won't be alone in my coverage of these epic stories i'm bringing the best and brightest and irredeemablest guest stars from the blogosphere and podcast community such as chris franklin from the supermates podcast I think this is a great idea for a podcast, and I wish
0: I thought of it first, but it's in good hands.
5: Chris and I are going to be reviewing the first issue of Secret Origins, which tells the story of the Golden Age Superman. And now, Chris, I don't know if this has ever come up before on your own show, but would you say you're much of a Superman fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am definitely a Superman fan. Uh, Superman, the movie, is still my favorite movie of all time. That's my Star Wars I don't remember a time when I didn't know who Superman was. Tim Wallace from Court Industries, a blog devoted to Blue Beetle. My friends, my close friends, would probably tell you that Aquaman was my favorite hero. And they wouldn't be too far off from the truth, but there was already a pretty decent blog covering Aquaman. So I went for my number two, which was was Blue Beetle. And this issue actually has a lot to do with uh, why he's one of my favorites. Luke Giaconetti from the Hawkman blog, being Carter Hall in the Earth Destruction Directive podcast. Thank you for having the the enthusiasm to talk about Halo because this is not a character that I know much about. Uh, you know, it's uh, I'm 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 one of the oddballs in that I'm an Outsiders fan who doesn't like the Teen Titans. So <laughs> I f- I figure I'm I'm pretty much required to do my my uh, you know my due diligence in defending the members of the Outsiders team, especially one of the originals. Siskoid, from Siskoid's blog of Geekery and the Hero Points Podcast. One of the subjects I keep returning to is Golden Age superheroes. I like exploring the the history of comics, and especially DC Comics, which has the biggest load of uh, of Golden Age heroes. In Secret Origins is full of these, because Roy Thomas wrote uh, you know, half the series or so, and just like he wrote a lot of Golden Age heroes and broad Golden Age heroes, to the um to our attention in the 80s which was when i started reading comics and of course rob kelly from the fire and water podcast the plan was all this time once we finished who's who we were going to do the secret origin series that was our next game our next uh, big project and you have swooped in and stolen it And I'm just saying, you better not screw this up. I mean, you're on episode four, and you brought in your biggest guest star yet. But from here, if it's just downhill, I'm going to be really ticked off that you ruined our idea. Mm, I wasn't really listening to any of that. Plus more incredible guests including Sean Engel, Chad Bokelman, Kyle Benning, Nathaniel Wayne, Paul Scovito, Greg Arajo, Tom Panarese, Doug Zawissa, Aaron Moss, Alan Middleton, Max Romero, Gene Hendricks, Stella, Ange, Diablo Frank, and possibly even more. Join us as we uncover the secret origins of all your favorite DC heroes, except for Wonder Woman, and Aquaman, and Supergirl and the Huntress, and Red Tornado, and Mira, and Aqualad, and John Stewart, the Green Lantern, and Wildcat, and Metamorpho, and Geoforce, and Mr. Terrific, and Snap the The Secret Origins Podcast.
1: All right, guys, and we are back from break. Uh, Jackie had to leave, <laughs> so she either uh, didn't have... <laughs> Green Lantern number one didn't want to review Green Lantern number one, or more likely, knew we were about to tear a new one
3: <laughs>
1: into into a, an, issue, uh, an issue of a comic that her grandfather wrote. <laughs> uh, Which is... maybe I, she probably didn't suspect that. <laughs> we did warn her, by the way, <laughs> in, the, in the initial email. We're like, all right, so here's what we're going to be talking about for for the interview and we're also gonna throw in throw in a review oh we didn't even tell anybody yet <laughs> I, guess, I guess we should let them know so not only are we interviewing Jackie Nodell but because we interviewed her about her grandfather and this is the Green Lantern 75th anniversary we figured all right well what the hell let's uh, I mean we we've obviously covered uh, as you'll as a as we record this it has yet to be released but as you hear this you've already heard it. that makes any sense. (laughs) I promise uh, pot is not legal in the state of Texas. I have not been smoking. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, the heart of darkness. We covered that obviously because of Alan Scott's involvement. Well, the same way we couldn't close out the official green lantern 75th anniversary stuff without talking to Jackie about her grandfather. There really was no way we could close it out without also doing a golden age comic review. And thanks to a, uh, a listener, of ours, uh, uh, I won't say who, uh, I, I would like to, but I don't want to get him in trouble because uh, uh, of obviously the, probably the, the method in which he acquired <laughs> the, the comics, uh, he mailed me via postage mail, mailed me a flash drive of all of the Golden Age comics featuring Green Lantern, including All-American all Comics, Green Lantern Quarterly, and the all-star comics worth with the justice society. Um, and uh, he knows who he is. And thank you so much. Uh, it, it not only helps me out, but when we review these issues, it helps Mark out so that I can post a copy of it so that he can grab it and read it as well. So uh, that's really helpful. Not just for me as a green lantern fan, but for us as podcasters uh, about the character of green lantern, you know who you are. Thank you so much. But we are reviewing.
2: Thanks for crossing that line. That's right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> breaking the law so we don't have to uh, uh so we are actually reviewing green lantern number one the original green lantern number one um this is the cover featuring alan scott going up against uh, uh you know just your kind of average henchman in front of his uh green lantern power battery with a black background its uh price was 10 cents it was a fall issue uh, and at the time, even though it didn't say it on the cover, this was technically Green Lantern quarterly. That's, that's how often it came out. So Green Lantern number one, uh, we are going headlong into it, guys. Uh, there are, it's, uh, God, how many pages? Was this, uh,
2: 60 something, wasn't it? 68, 68. with yep. ads.
1: 68 with ads. Now, I'm not sure if it's every ad, but it's definitely, uh, Enough. plenty. <laughs> um, <laughs> even
2: without the ads, there's a lot of, it, it did seem like the quarterly issue that just wouldn't end.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, and oh, I, 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 this whole thing I've been talking about was a total tangent. <laughs> we we told her we were going to be reviewing this issue and uh, that uh, it's a Golden Age issue. So what, it comes with a territory where we might be, you know, making fun of it a little bit. So heads up. So maybe she didn't want to stick around for that. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe maybe she just had too much to say and didn't want to impede on the process. I don't know. (laughs) I don't even know what I was trying to say there. Let's just get into the freaking review. So Green Lantern, number one, we're going to start off uh, uh, alternating. So it's going to be Mark, me, and then back and forth. And uh, there's a couple of cool bits of extra material that aren't ads that are inserted in here. Uh, Wouldn't you say, Mark? Yes. Yeah, so we'll definitely touch on those. uh, We can either touch on them as they come up, or at the very end, but uh, because the episode has already been pretty long, guys, we're gonna try and keep it as short as possible. But we definitely won't cut it down so much as to we're just you know flying through this thing and not giving you guys you know the your money's worth. <laughs>
2: they, they've already gotten their money's worth, I think, out of this episode. Everything else is gravy now, Chad. <laughs> that's right.
1: That's right. That's right. <laughs> Jackie Nodell worth the price of admission.
2: So this this issue was. Good but long. That pretty much wraps it up, and we'll be back next episode. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> All right, you
1: want to throw it um, throw it off right here?
2: Sure. What the hell? Uh, the act- the actual first story in this, in issue number one, is just a recap of Alan Scott's origin. Which again, we've kind of decided we're not going to really go, you know, go in delve into it too much because most people kind of know the the basics of Alan Scott's origin relating to the. Train wreck and the you know getting the battery, the ring, all the, the whole thing. So that's mm-hmm. that's the first few pages, basically, of this issue, just to give the reader at the time, giving them the primer they need to know who the hell this character is that's going to dominate the next a thousand pages of this book.
1: <laughs> now, just just I don't want I, I promise I won't interrupt you, but she said she said in the um, interview that whenever her whenever Bill Finger shows up first, it means that uh martin Nodell wasn't the actual artist someone ghosted for him i'm assuming because uh, uh uh artists and creators didn't show up on the cover she means per story
2: that's what i would assume too
1: okay so here with the origin uh, so for each story guys we'll let you know whether or not that the order changes so here on the recap of his origin this is just two pages Martin O'Dell uh, is the name that appears first with Bill Finger next. So this is this is Martin O'Dell artwork.
2: Indeed, and the first story is the same too. Martin okay. O'Dell first, Bill Finger after that, and the first real story of this quarterly issue is Green Lantern, the adventure of the masquerading mayor. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so – Basically, this story this story all revolves around his, but his co-worker slash, his, I guess, really love interest at the time, Irene, who's inherited an estate, and basically a part of that estate came with a racehorse, and of course the uh, not not you know kind of I don't want to say par for the course as far as this happens in comics all the time, but we've seen this happen in other forms of media all the time, that the idea that oh. You know the the mafia, just the mob is trying to get their hands on something somebody has, especially you know a race horse or something valuable. So they come down and they try to, sh- and they're shaking down Irene to, uh, you know, basically uh, sell the horse. Uh, Alan Scott shows up as Alan Scott, not as Green Lantern, and pretty much you know says, so as we find out in this issue, he does a lot, of beats the crap out of people with his bare hands a lot. <laughs> He has the ring, but he still likes open up a can of whoop ass. <laughs> pretty much, every, pretty much every other page. So he, so he kind of, he kind of, pardon the term, he kind of bits, you know, bit slaps a thug here and there, and and of course, you know, the uh, the bad guy Scar, and everybody's like, ah, we're gonna get you. And you gotta love the name Scar. It's like it, it's like, kind of gives that whole connotation, and it's like,
1: long live the king. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so. So pretty much uh, that's that's the first introduction into the dynamic of this story. Um, Alan Scott as Green Lantern pretty much is uh, determined to look out for the for the horse and look out for Irene. Pretty much later, I think, but later that night, you know, the mob comes back and they basically were gonna pretty accurately, I think, but but since it's an animal, it always kind of gets you makes you kind of like just want to punch something that their plan of course was coming to more or less probably maybe not the Achilles tendon necessarily but they were going in to cut a few tendons here and there on the horse pretty much to cripple the horse for life so it's like Jesus <laughs> so it's like, geez, it's like if you're not going to sell to me well up yours that horse your horse is going to have a limp and four legs for the rest of his life or at least two so Alan Scott as Green Lantern shows up and uh, uh, more or less opens up another can of whoop-ass <laughs> Doesn't really use his ring pretty much, just uses acrobatics and his fist and beats the crap out of these guys, but, but yet they still manage, you know, but they don't end up in jail or anything after this, which is, I guess, par for the course. Uh, Irene meets, you know, meets Green Lantern, and of course, much like the whole Carol Hal dynamic, is like, she's like super impressed with Green Lantern. <laughs> it's like, alright. <laughs> uh, we, we have, um, now now we kind of have now we kind of had the subplot with uh Irene's cousin who really thought he deserved the estate and he deserved the horse and Scar more or less makes it de- you know kind of like makes him an offer he can't refuse <laughs> to try to get him to basically trick Irene into putting putting the horse up in a claim in a claiming race which is pretty much if your horse doesn't win then anybody who wants to pay the you know the uh but the cost of the horse or the, whatever the horse is is it the bet ba- I'm trying to get the actual quote all uh, that the owners put a set price on their horses and if their horses lose anybody who more or less can you know who who can pay the price that that they uh, put on their own horse anybody who can pay that amount can basically buy your own horse whether you want to sell it or not so her, uh, Irene's cousin helps uh, put the horse in the race Jersey Queen on purpose knowing the Jersey Queen was going to lose and Jersey Queen loses, he ends up buying the horse, (laughs) which leads to yet another case of (laughs) ass-whooping as Alan Scott punches him in the face. (laughs) Uh, Alan Alan Scott beats up a lot of people in this one issue, especially.
1: Both both as Green Lantern and Alan Scott.
2: Mostly as Alan Scott. This is Alan Scott again as Alan Scott, (laughs) not as Green Lantern, just beating the crap out of Irene's cousin.
1: Man, Uh, I wish I was alive in the 40s, you know, just... Hey, you douchebag! Throw a yeah. punch, and they're just like, "Oh, I guess I deserve that." <laughs>
2: uh, so now, so so now begins this big, this big kind of like money-making scheme between Scar and the cousin, in which the idea is, you know, because Jersey Queen is such a good horse, she, you know, she she just kind of like racks up win after win after win, and of course, that this is this is all to set up the fact that they're going to basically uh, have the horse lose in a big race so they can bet against her. Uh, in in between, Alan Scott shows up and as Green Lantern and beats the crap out of a few more people. <laughs> uh, um, uh, basically Jersey uh, Jersey Queen disappears and 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 the mob pretty much they don't know what to do because their plan is about to blow up. So somehow somehow they miraculously got a got a horse that they could actually paint to look like Jersey Queen. <laughs> uh I don't know if it was an oil-based paint or acrylic or <laughs> but either way the paint job is supposed to be so good that no nobody knows for sure. And of course, the, the, oh, I'm just trying to go through this. <laughs> at, at the you know at I'm, let's see where are we at. I think I, I I lost my place in this. Okay, at the at the end of the day here cutting to the chase, uh this, despite the fact that the, you know the the mob is kind of expecting expecting the horse really to lose. That the horse doesn't lose because at this point Alan and Irene have kind of substituted the real Jersey Queen back for the imposter and Irene ended up being the jockey, so the horse ends up winning. But of course in between that Alan Scott, you know, finally uses his finally uses his his green powers to after kicking some more ass to kinda of like to more or less blind blind scar in the face and basically use the fear of blindness to force the guy to confess and pretty much he gets tur- he gets turned over to the cops and then of course you know then, then then that's when the actual race takes place and where Irene's cousin doesn't understand how the hell the horse didn't didn't lose and that's when the big reveal was hey and Irene's kind of happy to have her horse back but of course she's even happier that Green Lantern kissed her and and that pretty much ends that story <laughs>
1: you know you know it, every single one of these stories is really really long um so for, I mean, obviously, not really, really, uh, because this, the, the whole thing all told is 68 pages, so it's not like they're super long. The,
2: it's but, the cumulative effect.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the, so, now, I, w- I will say this, the only thing I really have to say about it, because the, the artwork is, I mean, it's, you're reading a Golden Age comic, and you know you're reading a Golden Age comic, so it's not like you're sitting here expecting all of, you know, Yvonne Hayes to just, like, show up on the page, um... But you know, things uh things where it really stands out are like close ups, I would say. Um, really really good close ups, not like action close ups where um uh what's his name gets the beams in the eyes and Scar, stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, so uh you d- you don't you know, not things like that, but just kind of nice little close ups uh do, do fairly well. Now they're not super detailed because it's not you know, Martin Odell wasn't, you know, um as Jackie said, wasn't, you know, he was a very particular kind of artist. Um, other than that, I just think that, (laughs) the thing I love about this story is that this is Green Lantern, and it's, you know, at some point, you know, we're gonna have to cover a lot of Golden Age stuff, and I would love to, so I, but we haven't done that yet, so I don't know at what point in his development as a, a hero, let alone his power set, Green Lantern is, so... I don't know if this is completely out of character for him, but I just love that Green Lantern, uh, as we know him now, Green Lantern Alan Scott, is dealing with someone fixing a horse race.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And he was protecting the horsey, too, could be fair.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's true. I'm just saying the caliber of of a hero like Green Lantern, and they made an entire story. Of him dealing with a fixed horse
3: race.
2: Green <laughs> Lantern, he stole my creamsicle.
3: <laughs> I'll
2: get that motherfucker <laughs> with my bare hands. Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> I'll never steal again. You know, I,
1: I like the sound effects you're adding, but it just sounds like you're spanking somebody. <laughs> I wish, Chad. Then, been,
2: then, then this episode would already be over.
1: <laughs> oh, Good night, man. everybody.
2: Uh, oh. there, there's
1: the line, folks. We oh. crossed it. Oh. There you go. <laughs> oh, but do the, you have anything in particular to say about the this? Sarc-
2: i, I kind of like the sarcasm. We see, and we see this all throughout this issue. I kind of like the, the kind of like the edge that Alan Scott kind of has. He kind of has the smart ass little edge to him, <laughs> kind of very hal like in a way. <laughs> yeah, very. So yeah, I, 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 so I think that's. So I think I think that that's pretty cool. I mean that, I think that kind of, I think it. I don't know if it, it kind of balances out and kind of makes the, you know, the, uh, all the hands on action that kind of makes it seem more in character for him.
1: Well, let me, let me ask. Do you think it's, do you think it's a characterization of Alan Scott, or do you think it's more of a, uh, more telling of the time? Oh, of course it's, like, it's, of like, course it's the know,
2: time, but.
1: Yeah, like, you know, no, I mean, I just mean, like, this isn't necessarily Alan Scott's personality. This is more of kind of the default personality of the heroes at the time you know they're men of action so they have a very outspoken dialogue they're they, you know they're very direct you know things like that
2: yeah i mean i yeah i would suspect it's not like it's it was, it was any kind of concerted effort to try to give him a, a unique or distinct characterization or yeah i think i do think it's more absolutely the time the time frame and this is this is you know how heroes it's put, are supposed to be. This is how comic book heroes are supposed to be, and people, like you said, even just in general, you know, men were men. That kind of that kind of approach to it. So that's that's what I think. It's just it's just obviously it stands out because it because it doesn't really doesn't fit the way we tend to view Alan Scott today. Not talking about, of course, New Fifty Two Alan Scott. Talking about. The Alan Scott that we came to get, get used to later on in the Silver Age and into the modern age. That uh, so it just, it just seems a little more striking, especially uh, no pun intended, because, <laughs> because he's striking everyone.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I you know this is clearly the an Alan Scott. You know, what would you say? Late twenties, early thirties, probably late twenties. Probably. Um, and I think that. It's very, you know, although this isn't the characteristic of the Alan Scott we know, it's very easy to say that, you know, you know, it's, in other words, it's not a leap to go, this Alan Scott becomes that Alan
2: Scott. Oh, no. There's yeah. No doubt so, about that.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, now, do you want to cover the, 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 the stuff right now between these stories, or do you want to wait till the end?
2: Let's wait till the end.
1: Okay. Uh, next, we get a story that's not really labeled. Uh, I guess it doesn't – I mean, I don't really see a title. Um, I guess it's uh, disease could be the the, the, the the title of a story, I guess. I don't know. Um, now, what happens here – and I, I, I'm going to do a much more surface level <laughs> recap here uh, than, than, than Mark's recap of the story. But what is happening here is um, pneumonia is breaking out across the city um, and in the country. Um, and um, it's, it's taken out a lot of people. There's an, a, a pneumonia serum. Um, and the supply of pneumonia serum uh, is starts being limited and is suddenly gone. And, you know, people are, you know, are, are getting sick and, and dying and things like that. And Irene and Alan are talking and, they're, uh, they're, they're 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 talking about this uh, this hit and run. Uh, the the DA is was was killed by in, in a hit and run, and they're looking into it and they're talking about the tie-ins with the uh, pneumonia serum and, and things like that. Uh, and uh, like for instance, Irene says here, no serum, people dying of pneumonia and all because of Boss Filch and his grafters. Oh, and if I were a man, I, I, if I were the Green Lantern, I'd do something about this and Alan says, maybe the Green Lantern feels the same way about it as you do. If he does, I feel sorry for Filch, and of course he, you know, transforms in, into Green Lantern and goes on to take on this guy named, you know, Boss Filch. And he goes in, he confronts him, they kind of, you know, you know we didn't steal anything, our records can prove it, and Alan's like, well, records can be altered, and right as Alan is confronting Filch, this kid, uh, this kid uh, comes into the room, Daddy, Daddy, and his name is Tommy, and Kind of the way that Filch interacts with his son, Alan kind of takes a step back and, you know, thinks to himself, you know, he he must love that boy very much. It's incredible how tender he is with him. And then after Green Lantern, it says, it says that night as the Green Lantern returns to his sanctum, like he's got like a bat cave or something, <laughs> but it's really just his apartment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's a boxing gym. <laughs>
1: So he's like, you know, I can't fight Filch the way I've fought other men. <laughs> he's very smart, too ruthless. There must be another way. So, and and obviously he doesn't say it, but he's also talked. you know, he, he's clearly a good father and cares very much for his son. So it's not like he could just beat the dude up in front of his son or, you know, things like that. And this guy is smart and covering his tracks. It's, I'm not going to put this guy on the pedestal and call him like Lex Luthor, but think of that, you know, more of a savvy crook kind of a thing um meanwhile there everybody's trying to get uh pneumonia serum and uh you know trying to you know uh, raise money and things like that well they find alan finds you know uh uh, he (laughs) said the next night green lantern starts his own his own personal drive for funds master of the fourth dimension. I freaking love this. I love the description of this master of the fourth dimension. He dives through the wall of a notorious gambling establishment, like a green wraith. He appears before the startled players, (laughs) <laughs> and it, it beats the crap out of him and
2: robs him. <laughs> <It> beats,
1: <laughs> he, he beats the shit out of him, breaks a chair over him, and he, as he's doing this, he says, do have a chair, and then smacks it across the, and not even the torso, he is smacking it across the head of these two gentlemen and busting them up. Takes all the money, goes, gives the money to these nurses to for pneumonia serum. He says, he will bring some more tomorrow. He you know, takes out some more crooks, <laughs> things like that. Robin Hood, Alan Scott. <laughs> That's right. Green Lantern hands in Amazing Sum in Pneumonia Serum Drive. This is the freaking longest headline ever. <laughs> it's like half the paper. Green Lantern hands in Amazing Sum in Pneumonia Serum Drive. Visits many homes in effort to raise money. If you are visited by a masked man in a – what does that say? In a something costume – I can't say if it says – it's bizarre. There we go. In a bizarre costume, don't be frightened. It's only Green Lantern asking for money to help. (laughs) Good grief. Uh, And I – let's see. The Eagle, that is the name of the paper. I'm just trying to see if there's any consistency here in in the the papers, if this is – no, no, because the first paper was Daily Globe. Damn it. I like consistency like that. Like, you know, you can clearly tell that this is Never mind. We'll get to that later. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, he comes, he goes to one person's house because, you know, this, this headline had shown up in the paper across the city and he goes to this, uh, you know, these, these people's house and he, and suddenly he, this one woman says, but I just gave you a contribution. You were here just a moment ago. And he's like, I was. Are you? Are you sure?
2: And then he decked her. No, any kidding? <laughs> <laughs> and he punches her in the face. <laughs> Clearly, you can get you lied, bitch. Oh, <laughs> god. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but it would have been funny if he had Irene behind him and she decked her. <laughs> you take this one, Irene. I have too much class.
1: <laughs> um, so he confronts this imposter, uh, takes him down, uh, and you know he. To, gets the money and, and gives it to the doctors in the hospital. And then he goes to confront Filch again. And he's like, I'm, you know, I, I want to complete confession. He's like, you know, I'm not going to do it. And then Tommy, his son comes out and his son is like, you know, I don't feel good. My head hurts. I feel so cold. I don't feel good. And then he faints and he passes out. Well, clearly, you know, Tommy's got pneumonia and uh, suddenly, so, you know, that breaks Filch. He's like, you know, it can't be not my Tommy pneumonia. Call the hospital, get some serum. And Alan's like, well, it's not going to do any good, man. There is no serum. Um, so he's like, "Fine, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll confess. Just you know, save my son." So he tells him that there's a shipment uh, coming by plane from the coast. Uh, or Alan tells him there's some serum coming by plane, and 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 Phil just like, "You know, you're Green Lantern. Um, I've heard how you can travel through the air with the speed of light. You could meet that plane and bring the serum in time to save Tommy." So Alan goes confronts the plane, jumps in.
2: Doesn't beat anybody up this time. <laughs> no, nope,
1: doesn't go. He, he, he's the master of the fourth dimension. So he just kind of goes right into the, the plane, grabs a, <laughs> and I, I love that. The, the pilot's reaction. He's like, am I going nuts? Or is that really a man flying in the sky? And then Alan <laughs> phases through the top of the airplane, hops in full costume. And he goes, Just want to take a little serum. Won't be long. (laughs) And the pilot is like, no hurry. Stick around.
3: Please don't hurt me, man. (laughs) That I would
1: be crash diving into the side of a mountain. I'd be so shocked. But but whatever. So evidently they get the serum just in time to, you know, help Tommy. Tommy gets all better. Um, You know, uh, Filch confesses, says he'll go to jail. Um, And then uh, over at the commissioner's house, Alan, you know, confronts him because they've been – this part I didn't understand. Were they were they working with him? Yeah, here we go. Meryl and the boys got a bit scared because the DA knew too much and they decided to put him out of the way without my knowledge. So they were a part of it, but they didn't let, you know, Filch know what was going on. So Alan goes to confront him and, you know, he they, they takes care of all that. And then at the end, you know, Green Lantern makes a phone call to headquarters. You'll find the records here to prove how they grafted on all attacks appropriations. Uh, who is this? You remember me? I'm the Green Lantern. And then, you know, at the very last panel, you're atypical. You know, Irene's like, I wonder if I'll ever meet him again. You know, Alan, he must be a wonderful person. And Alan goes, oh, I don't know. He's probably just as ordinary as either you or I. <laughs> and that's that's the end of that little story. Yeah. Did did I miss anything? I was that was a very surface oh level. It, you got,
2: you got all the you got all the highlights. So
1: you think pneumonia? I mean, because I'm not I'm I know a little bit of history, but I don't know a whole lot. Was pneumonia really that big of a deal?
2: Yeah, I think it was more of a big deal back then.
1: Because I mean, they're they're acting like Tommy's gonna die. <laughs> like there's and it's not like you know he caught pneumonia, he's got a high fever, we need to take care of him. There's a chance he could get worse it is pneumonia is a death sentence if we don't take care of it
2: he's got the sniffles put the sheet over him
1: (laughs) you know what i mean so i was just like i I was like what hold on a sec so that you know being in the modern era that took me out of it a little bit but otherwise i thought it was i thought it was pretty good i mean considering the previous story was alan dealing with you know fixed horse race (laughs) you know but I, I did, I did like that, you know. Even though he does beat up some people, he, he does, he does take a little bit of a different approach. Tries to be a little smarter about it.
2: That's true. Because the kid. <laughs> That's true. Go get some ice cream in the other room. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> the, two scoops. Oh! <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, Alice Gossip providing a lot of entertainment this evening. <laughs> it was a, all these stories onto themselves are, are entertaining. It's just, it's just the fact that there, was, there were just so many of them in this issue. And just by the time you get to the, the end, it's just like, oh, come on. Just hit the guy already. It's cold a night. <laughs> I, like, I kind of like the flu one. The flu one was pretty good yeah 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 for sure. I think the first two are pretty good once once we get it once we get into the next one over here I think that's that's when it kind of i think at least this one kind of went off the rails a little for me a little bit I don't but at least I'll be able to scrap this one the next one up pretty quickly
1: <laughs> yeah and then the there's uh there's a a little uh kind of a, an extra add in here that again we'll get to later. I've actually posted the image of this on our website on our uh, Facebook page a few days a few weeks ago um but uh that it actually introduces Bill Finger and Martin O'Dell so that's yep. pretty cool um but we we'll, again we'll get to that at the end uh so you want to take the next one
2: I suppose so
1: <laughs> well did you have anything else to say about uh, this story
2: no i kind of i liked it i in a way it's kind of it is kind of topical considering uh the way infectious diseases are today and probably going to get going to get worse you always have the fear of the pandemic so it's i thought that was kind of i thought that was a uh, apropos towards uh, to our things we deal with nowadays, so I thought that was a pretty cool story to see being dealt with back then. So that was pretty good, and yeah, and it was, it was kind of interesting seeing Alan Scott. It's like, you know, you know what? It's like it's like early Alan Scott as Parallax. It's like uh, I'm gonna set things right no matter what, so I'm gonna beat the crap out of you and take your money and put it towards good use. <laughs> but 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 oh. <laughs> That's for serum, boys.
1: Oh, nothing, man. Chad. <laughs> no, okay. no.
2: It was, it was It was pretty good. All right. So the next story is arson in the slums. And basically, and basically, what's going on in this story is a is a whole bunch of basically low, low, low rent housing, for lack of a better way of describing it. Um, it. These buildings are being burned down, pretty much one after the, one after the other, and it's essentially this big scheme. To again, it kind, of, it kind of fits into modern life too, the idea of trying to get rid of all these this old decrepit housing. So new housing, you know, so new housing and new everything that can bring in big bucks are going to be put up. So that's basically the the underlying the underlying scheme behind all this. And, you know, Alan Scott, you know, ends up saving a bunch of people in in some of these fires, and he gets basically, uh he kind of becomes aware of the scheme to basically kill it, kill everybody off who has any idea of what's going on behind the scenes. So, so I think this story, uh, ironically, this story, I think, does kind of play out realistically in many ways. You know, you have the, uh you got the... uh Person who's the driving force behind these schemes, always trying to wipe out everybody who has has any knowledge of what he's trying to do. So there's there's a couple of characters that Alan Scott saves from being killed, and he basically tells them, "You're dead. <laughs> Stay low." <laughs> it's like you're dead, or else they'll come back and finish the job. And let's see, Alan Scott at some point. Uh, I'm trying to. I just want to. I'm. I don't know if there's a lot of detail really to wrap up to go into in this one, but of course, at, to, as Alan Scott pretty much, you know, per, you know, pre- pretend, pretends to be the big, the big bad, so we can catch the rest of the guys mob and everything behind the scenes and pulling off this, you know, that, the, the arson and, he, you know, a relatively low and ass kicking in this story
3: <laughs>
2: compared to the other two. A
1: and, shortage, you might say. Yes, a, a
2: shortage, a, sh- a shortage of ass whooping. <laughs> you know, and the slum lord pretty much, well, of course he didn't really want to be a slumlord. He wanted to be a <laughs> he, he. wanted to be a Donald Trump-like character, but so he pretty much ends up uh, being being brought to justice and blah 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 blah, and the story kind of ends. with, you know that you know the uh, you know the the slum you know the sl- the buildings, the the tenements and the slums are going to be rebuilt for the people so they're going to have the housing and it's not going to be turned over. It's not going to be like any high-rise apartments or anything like that. The the, the slums are going to be rebuilt. Hopefully it's slightly better since they're still slums. But but it's still going to be like low-rent housing for the people and they're going to have their lives or their houses back as best they can from all these events or cases of arson and have more and I didn't put a lot of detail on this, but that kind of was the story.
1: No, no, no that's fine. Uh, I mean, and I I don't want to take us off, off track, but this is this is kind of one of the reasons I really like uh, Alan Scott, uh, especially Golden Age Alan Scott, because we see that there are like there there are no issues too big or small for him. You know, he's a local boy. That's that's what I really like. You know, he's. Uh, what depending on the town he's in because he was you know for a while i know him as a hero of gotham you know but regardless of where he's at he he acts like a a hometown hero i mean he he takes on the big threats like the story i covered where he's you know he's helping the community you know you know confront a, a terrible disease um and then he takes on the smaller stuff like you know um Obviously, this one is a little bit bigger than a horse race, but, you know, you get the idea. Um, That's part of the reason I like characters like Alan Scott, and that's part of the reason I like characters like Ragman. Um, You know, a lot of people are like, you know, Batman's already in Gotham, and there's a whole plethora of, you know, bat-type heroes, and, you know, there's other heroes that are, you know, there's so much stuff going going on in Gotham. What do people like Ragman bring to the table? Well, Ragman, one of the reasons I love Ragman is Ragman is kind of dedicated to, the, like, the slums and, you know, the, the more local troubles. I mean, not, he's got – now, now, now uh, post-crisis, he's got, you know, the suit of souls, and then there's more of a supernatural element. But if you read those first stories, it's very much – I mean, he's, he's just got basically agility and some, you know, enhanced speed and, and strength and stuff like that. But that's about it. And he takes on local trouble, you know, drug lords and and uh, local, you know, people trying to force people out of their homes and and stuff like that. There's even though he's a hero, there's no problem that's too big for him. And in fact, he actually goes after the small stuff uh, because, you know, it's his home, too. And that's what I like about Alan Scott, especially in the Golden Age, is there are those bigger stories. But towards the beginning. You know, regardless of, you know, if it was just a fact of the 40s that, you know, they they felt that their audience would kind of more relate to this stuff than they would bigger stories. Doesn't matter. I'm reading it now and going, look at Alan Scott. He's taking on the big stuff and he's taking care of, you know, hearth and home. That's that's what I really enjoy about these stories. They might not be that exciting, but they still tell you a lot about the character himself and what he takes on.
2: I agree. I think that I think that is true. It's a good, ref, it's a good reflection of his character. The fact that he takes care of his own. It's the idea also that, like you said, whether it's big or small, if it you know if it affects people, especially people in in the in his area or people in general that he cares about, or just if it's in the bigger picture, you know, the right the wrong, right or wrong aspect is is the driving force. So. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty, regardless of whether it's something is relatively minor and more personal, like the horse racing thing, or whether as we've been kind of moving up the scales to to, to bigger things with the with the arson and with the influenza thing. So or pneumonia, hmm. excuse me.
1: And as we see, well, bigger things outside of even the U.S. <laughs>
2: Yes, yes, he's branch. He's going on his world tour.
1: <laughs> Alan Scott International,
2: <laughs> <laughs> international man
1: of mystery. Um, I, I, I kind of missed something in my story, uh, and I just, I'd rather say it here than not say it at okay. all. Um, you notice the second panel of that of my story?
2: Let me go back. Uh, but the, the death thing.
1: Yeah, that, isn't that awesome?
2: Yeah, it is cool.
1: But, I mean, they go, so what we're what we're seeing guys and I, I told you that it's it's uh, pneumonia's happening. So um, there's there's a panel where it says while an innocent city lies unprepared an epidemic of pneumonia suddenly strikes with a swiftness and destructiveness of a cyclone. And rather just showing sick than sick people rather than just showing sick people, you see a silhouette of the city and then a silhouette of people kind of keeling over and being sick. But above it all, you see this massive uh death figure, you know like the the hooded skeleton with a sickle yeah, swinging reaper. his sickle, yeah, the S- reaper, and across his uh, his robes is the word pneumonia, which is really cool. I mean I know it's I know it's you know uh, this is the 1940s, so it's not like a spectacular drawing, but it is really cool that instead of just showing sick people in hospital beds like rows and rows of them, they went with this more. I don't know. What's, what's the adjective I'm looking for? Um, this more artistic representation
2: or symbolic,
1: symbolic. There you go. There's more symbolic representation. And it's, I mean, it's, it fits with the story, but there's no other panel in this story like it.
2: Plus I like the white robes on, on the Reaper instead of your typical black.
1: Yeah. The white robes on the Reaper. Um, and you know, this is probably just an effect of, 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 uh, coloring, but, uh, uh, the The skeleton is kind of yellowish, pale yellow. That's kind of cool too. It's the only symbolic panel in the entire story. It's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, that was a nice panel. <clears throat> okay, uh, my story. I think you're see. I think I kind of think the arson story was the worst. Was the worst one. So I when I realized, when I'm going, when I was finished mine, I'm looking ahead towards the next one. It's like oh yeah, I kind even though even though reading. Reading Doi over there is kind of hard to from the translation point of view. The story was pretty good, though I thought.
1: So I got the good one. Yeah, I think to wrap
2: you with. got. I think you got a good one to wrap it up with.
1: <laughs> well, I'll let you choose next time we do this.
2: I'm not. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: um, now we're going to get to the actual inserts of the the cool stuff we told you about. Um, this one is just an ad, so I'll throw this one in here now. All Flash Quarterly number two is being uh, advertised here. Uh, it's uh, It says, thanks a million boys and girls for the swell reception. You gave the first All Flash quarterly. Uh, and, and, of course, All Flash features Jay Garrick. And it says, a complete 64-page novel-length story featuring the adventures of the Flash, Fastest Man Alive, a fit companion to Superman and Batman. That's how they're advertising it. Um, and then right underneath it, uh, it says, the Justice Society of America presents All-Star Comics number seven. Uh, read the story of how we raise a thousand... Um, No, a million dollars for refugee children in the war torn democracies of Europe and Asia. So this is obviously the Justice Society kind of telling the kids Um, and how our three honorary members helped Johnny Thunder out of a tight spot. Also in All-Star number seven, we announced the results of your voting for the next honorary member like Superman, Batman and The Flash and the new active member of the Justice Society of America. Don't miss it. Um, and that is uh, All-Star Comics number seven, which I have somewhere in here. So after we, I, I talked about my story, I'll tell you what those results are so you don't have to wonder what it was like. Um, but uh, in between Mark and I's story is actually a story, uh, uh, a, a kind of a comic strip, sweet uh, – how do you say that? Adeline?
2: Yes, Adeline. Probably Adeline. Adeline.
1: Um, to be honest with you, I didn't read it. <laughs> no, did I? Uh, but it's 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 kind of your uh you know your atypical funny you know your your sunday funny kind of thing so there's that, there's that um and there's also now this this is really this is really um i didn't read this uh but i wish i did
5: <laughs> did you read this
2: i did not read i skimmed through it ever so briefly just because i, I just as far as seeing how long it was going to be whether and then whether it, i how it fa- factored into the issue review, whether I thought we needed to address it. So I kind of did not read the full story.
1: So this is a, it says a Hop paragon story and the title is Trailers of Treachery. Now, this is a, uh, a Green Lantern and Doi B. Dickles story, but it's an all text story, which is really cool. Um, I, uh, I mean, i i I've, I've seen a few golden age comics. This is going to sound weird in my time. um, But this, this, um, this happens fairly regularly. Actually, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like little cool inserts. Like we'll get to in a minute, a lot of cool ads, but I, I did not expect to see a regular text feature in a comic book. And it, it happens. And I know I didn't give you all the issues, uh, Mark, but this happens Almost in every issue of quarterly. I mean, it, it, there's there's a text feature in there, and sometimes it's related, and sometimes it's a different story, and it's really cool. I didn't I I, I like how uh, educational these comics get, and we'll we'll get to that with the inserts at the end here, but it's also educational in the terms that you get these comics, but they're also promoting reading by throwing in these text pe- features. And the kids know it's about the character they're reading about because they include a picture of Doeyby and a picture of Alan, which is really cool.
2: And of course, one of the pictures of of Green Lantern is he's beating somebody up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Just in case you forgot, in case you forgot up to this point from reading the entire issue, here, here's your hero beating the crap out of somebody again. <laughs>
1: Uh, so now this one, now, uh, every single one we've done, but guys, by the way, we told you, we'd let you know if it changes. It didn't change. Uh, Martin Odell is listed as, as first on all of these. So this is all Mark, Martin Odell's, uh, uh, artistic work. Uh, this is another one that doesn't have a title. Uh, but let me read this first, uh, little narrative piece. Cause I think it's amusing. <laughs> <laughs> Anything smacking of injustice that happens within sh- shouting distance of Alan Scott is destined to be attacked and crushed by Green Lantern. But when that injustice occurs within shouting distance of Doyby Dickles, then the attack and subsequent crushing assumes almost comic and slapstick proportions. For Doyby is the Green Lantern's right hand man, and when he slugs him, they stays slugged. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is what we're in
2: for, folks. Enough <laughs> <Not> said. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um so alan scott young radio engineer is called in by the president of the apex broadcasting system uh and he's uh, called in to cover uh the uh um shortwave uh uh outlet down uh, the radio outlet down there he's going to south america uh in south america to kind of fix things and he's going to go down there and then he can you know Irene says, "I hear you're going." He's like, uh, "You yeah, know, your local boy makes good." So she, they go outside together. They come across Dooby, and evidently he uh, sprained his uh, uh, sprained his arm. Doc says he's got to lay off of it for a month. And you know, Allen's going down for uh, Allen's down go, going down to South America for a month. So he's like, "Hey, come on with me." Um, and Dooby's like, uh, I'm, gonna try, "I'm gonna try and do this <laughs> South America." <laughs> That is where they have them fancy señoritas. Uh, I, uh, I, I don't. I suddenly got a weird accent. That is where they have them fancy señoritas. What does them tangos and things? That is that is for me. I am with use. See, I, I, I'm from the south, so I can't do it. I'm guessing it's a Jersey thing. Is that is that what? It they may,
2: find yeah, it? yeah, maybe. It's like, may, may, yeah, maybe it's more like, hey, uh, South America with them fancy señoritas, yeah. <laughs> them
3: yous.
1: Yeah,
2: so. I'm just
1: going to read it and then try because I'm from the South and I was born and raised in the South and I went to New York for like all of a few days. So it's not like I have extensive history and ability to mimic the Jersey type accent uh, or joy type accent. So this is this one's kind of funny. Alan's packing for his trip and he's he grabs his lantern and goes. I wonder if I should take the lamp along. <laughs> there may be trouble. Perhaps I'd better. <laughs> Whereas nowadays, like, why the hell would you go anywhere without it? <laughs> so Alan and, uh, B get on a plane and then a ferry and everything and head down to South America. They get attacked. Evidently a civil war is now erupting. Now uh, with all the shots being fired, a horse gets spooked. A kid is about to get trampled. Alan takes care of it.
2: uh, they get down. And by to... taking care of it, we don't mean that he hit the horse. <laughs> he punched the horse. No yeah. blazing saddles here, he does not hit the horse.
1: <laughs> Danny Graham from Mongol.
3: Uh,
1: <laughs> oh man. Where the white women at? <laughs> That's my favorite line. Uh, uh, but anyways, uh, so they're talking, they get down to the radio thing and then they kind of get the uh, update on what's going on with this the civil war in the area joy B. hails a taxi and then he says i just came into this bird by riverboat so how about taking me on a sightseeing tour and evidently this is a password uh so he takes them out miles out of town and they say you know you must be kraut uh you must be the kraut from the fatherland welcome and you well, must a be Kraut it. from the father <laughs> yeah you oh yeah, it must be kraut, uh, yeah be, be, <sighs>
2: because there's so original there's such original names in this story which we we know it from the time frame,
3: yeah,
2: so we're not really making fun of it, but well, it's just kind of funny, oh, it's a German, and his name is Kraut, <laughs> right <laughs> around right. the time of world war two yes, yes, so uh
1: so. And the guy goes, I must compliment you on your disguise. No one would ever suppose you to be anything but a complete moron in that disguise. <laughs> and Doibi goes, a moron? He's thinking to himself, a moron? What, what's he mean by that, crack? And so they start, you know, and then this guy, it's, you know, it's, the United States will soon fall before the might of the fatherland. And, and Doiby goes, oh, yeah? And then he punches him in the face. <laughs> and then he gets knocked out. And then Alan is told that, you know, doyby has been taken. He goes, recharges um goes to confront these folks alan shows up just in the nick of time as they're you know put doyby in front of a firing squad and then alan goes and socks some people and (laughs) evidently alan's move is punching doyby's move is tackling uh uh, and then as he tackles a dude he grabs him by the head and starts slamming his head into the ground (laughs) and his little word bubble says your head is oh no chi your head is just like a rubber ball it bounces up and down (laughs) it's just like you can just picture doyby just (laughs) pounding this dude's head in the sand (laughs) and then you if you look at the next panel on the next page this dude is face down in the dirt
2: (laughs) i know his head looks like his head is caved in
1: (laughs) (laughs) doyby tackles another one and then punches him um and then Alan's like, "Hey, calm down, man." Uh, and then <laughs> That's goes. That's my take... friggin' job. <laughs> <laughs> Do, uh, Alan goes to take on all the rest of the soldiers. Uh, you know, uses his ring to light some, you know, some green emerald fire. <laughs> that last panel, it looks like Alan is trying to pull his best Batman. Yes. <laughs> or, or
2: the specter, one of the two.
1: That's right. He's got his cape swirled around to throw down your guns and surrender. Surrender. <laughs> And then he goes and heats up a couple of tanks. Takes care of a unibomber. <laughs> um, you know, th- you know. Take it throws throws the the pilot into an open well, and then may, has time to make a, crap, uh, a crack. A crack.
2: <laughs> he probably had time for that too, but that was after the mission.
1: <laughs> he says, "I don't think I should have dropped that rat into the well. He might pollute the water." <laughs> and then uh, they all talk about you know the. You know, Alan says, Why did you revolt? You have a fine democracy. You are able to think and speak as you like. You are not starving. And everybody's like, It's true. We have fought a senseless war. It's like, I, Alan speaks all two sentences, and they're like, You know what? We are dumb.
2: <laughs> we don't and, even understand English, but you speak the truth, my friend. <laughs> and
1: then the Civil War is evidently done, taken <laughs> care of. And then uh, one of the guys is like, You know, uh, Alan, or uh, B. Uh, tips the the taxi driver he's like thank you senor thank you thank you thank you and kisses doyby on the cheek and alan goes or doyby goes nobody can do that to doyby dickles and get away with it (laughs) so alan goes take it easy the driver's just happy you gave him so much money he thought you wanted to buy his cab you own the cab now And he goes, uh, "Gee, I go away on vacation, so V A C A S H U N to get away from the taxi business, and now I'm still in the taxi business. There ain't no justice." <laughs> uh, so there's a uh, there's Dickel's little adventure.
2: Look, <laughs> <clears throat> Do- Do- is good in like small doses. <laughs> at least from the at least from the reading of his dialogue point of view yeah i can't i can't do
1: the i can't do it <laughs>
2: i can't i can't do the the
1: voice <laughs> i'll have to i'll have to work on that guys maybe, maybe we'll have a guest voice for joyby chols <laughs> oh that would be awesome <laughs> anybody can do a really good uh really thick joysy accent um let us know and of course we'll give you plenty of advance notice <laughs> let us know and we'll uh We'll uh we'll, we'll we'll have you pre-record some stuff so we can do that.
2: <laughs> and Meg, this means you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Meg. You. Are we the want you, B. Dickles. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want any other auditions. We want you. <laughs> That's right. All
1: right. So, what do you think?
2: I like that. I like the story. It, right. Was it a little? I mean, was it a little? I don't know. Maybe idealistic is the wrong word, but what? Maybe, uh, maybe too simplistic on some levels. Or just about the, but about the um, it was a little too con- as we, as you pointed out, it was a little too convenient how at the end it's like uh, hey, what are you fighting for? It's like you're right, you know, we were tricked by the not by that crowd, <laughs> 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 that that crowd named Crowd. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of like the idea, you know, kind of kind of, but the little you know the, the time frame that they're in, kind of getting the taking the anti-German shots there and being smart enough to, you know, kind of re- talk about, you know, the Germans still, you know, Germans as a threat, obviously, and everything, so I thought that was pretty, th- that was pretty cool, uh, it was, it was nice to see Alan Scott, excuse me, <clears throat> out of his element, like you said, since he was in a, he was in a different country and everything, and so that was kind of cool, uh, it's, I like the you know the buddy it's it's always good the buddy buddy stuff with him and Dobby is always cool. So so that that was good. I thought it was a pretty good story like I said I think the I think the arson story was probably the least impressive of, of what the main four in the book that we dealt with. So it was I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Now I I just pulled up um All-Star Comics number 7 from the ad and I think let me see Yes. Okay. so uh, there's a a full page thing here and it says the Justice Society of America hereby elects Green Lantern as the fourth honorary member like Superman, Batman and the Flash uh, said honorary membership to be for life and does hereby elect Dr. Midnight as the new active member in his place. Uh, and a leave of absence is hereby granted to the Hourman, whose active duties will be taken up by the Starman. Making our roll call until further notice as follows Hawkman, the Sandman, the Atom, the Spectre, Johnny Thunder, Dr. Fate, Dr. Midnight, the Starman, honorary members, Superman, Batman, the Flash, and Green Lantern. Um, so uh, the JSA officially elects uh, Green Lantern as an honorary member in Justice Society 11, or it's announced, rather. As an honorary member, uh, uh, and uh, it's it actually takes place in the the other the uh, backside the the previous storyline uh, from this page, and uh, Doctor Midnight and Starman uh, take up uh, uh, take up a membership in the JSA, and I, the only reason it took me a few moments to find that is because I was like you know is there a name I haven't heard of <laughs> thinking, thinking more modernly that rather than going, maybe this, maybe it was the first introduction of these characters, uh, which it wasn't, but you know, it's whatever. Mm. Yeah, I lost. I also like how they say, let's see. Uh, Never before has the justice society been faced with such a perplexing problem until the advent of Dr. Midnight and his mascot Hootie, the wise old owl. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh
1: Hootie. <laughs> oh man! And then there's like a little message from uh, Green uh, Green Lantern. Thanks, boys and girls, for voting me the next honorary member of the Justice Society of America, and a whole book of my own, like Superman, Batman, and the Flash. Here it is, and it shows the issue we just reviewed. Uh, it's, it's a full ad for it. It says on sale everywhere September 26th. So that was, I guess, when it came out. Uh, hit covers or hit stands September 26th. That's awesome.
2: Very nice.
1: All right. Anything else you want to say about the actual issue before we go into the, uh, or the or the story before we go into the the little inserts?
2: It was. It was. I think it was kind of fun going back and reading it. Reading the not just a Golden Age story, but pretty much you know the beginning of you know, the Green Lantern run, if you will. Uh, at least as far as a book titled Green Lantern. <laughs> uh, and it also was interesting, besides the stories in the issue, just seeing... And Ed, we'll talk about more of that in a few minutes, just about the kind of the kind of ads and the different, you know, and the add-ons that they included in issues at that time compared to stuff that we see in the modern age, and not just obviously recently where we don't get much of anything, but even like back in the 80s and the 90s when the stuff... Still was dramatically different, so I thought I thought that was I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Okay. Do you want to take the introducing Bill Finger and Marty Nodell, and I'll do the other one?
2: What am, what am I? What would you like me to do about that? Just just to just read. you can read
1: it or you can describe it. It's it's up to you. I'm 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 gonna read the Marsden stuff word for word.
2: Well, the only problem with reading it is the left hand side of my page is kind of cut off in some spots, so. I can't see all the words on the, on the Bill Finger side. Okay. So if you want to do Bill um, it, Finger, it, it, I'll read the Marty Nodell one.
1: Okay, yeah, we'll split it up like that, and I'll, I'll read the Marsden stuff uh, right now. and uh, We'll get to the Bill Finger.
2: Okay. Okay, so first and foremost,
1: um, right after um, uh, my story about the uh, – uh, no, a- a- after Mark's story about the, uh, the horse race, there's a section that says, "Will is the flame of the green. Willpower is the flame of the Green Lantern. My flame shall be yours if you develop willpower." Uh, by Doctor William Moulton Marsden, and you guys should know that name for a couple of reasons. One, uh, he has been credited as the inventor of the lie detector test, but more importantly, he is the creator of Wonder Woman, um, and it's really cool to see his name pop up in here. And now, Mark, uh, I had you pull up a Wikipedia page. What was his profession, for those for those who are listening?
2: He was an American psychologist, lawyer, inventor, and comic book writer.
1: Okay, so there you go. Psychologist. Uh, so he's got a lot of stuff. Now, for those of you who are more steeped in uh, comic history, William Maltin Marsden had a very uh, uh, unique <laughs> personal life. Uh, Mark, I'm not sure if you've, you've ever heard, but uh, – he had a wife and then kind of like a live in girlfriend kind of a thing. Um, you know, uh, obviously if you've ever read golden age, wonder woman, she was tied up a lot. He had a lot of unique ideas on, uh, you know, uh, woman power and feminism and, and stuff like that. Um, so he had a, he had a, a kind of a, a, weird personal life and, and uh, unique little, uh, uh, look on, on the world. Um, uh, But it was really cool to see his name pop up in here. In this section, I'm going to read it to you guys. It says, Boys and girls, willpower is the strongest force in the world. If you've got willpower, you can overcome every obstacle and difficulty in your life. If you haven't got willpower, you'll never get anywhere, no matter how smart or good-looking you may be. Willpower gets you what you want. Lack of willpower loses you what you've got. What is willpower? It is the power to keep on trying with all you might and carry out your purpose. The harder a thing is the more determined you are to do it. That is willpower. The way to develop willpower is this. Pick out things that are very hard for you to do and make yourself do them. I know a little crippled boy who lived a long way from school. It hurt him terribly to walk. At school, his feelings were hurt by the boys teasing him. But that lad never missed a day the whole school year. There's willpower for you. His willpower won him the best marks in his class. It even won him first prize in a swimming meet. That boy will get where, whatever he goes... Yeah. I guess he meant wherever, but... It says, that boy will get whatever he goes after... Well, whatever he goes after, there you go. Because he has developed willpower. Here are some ways that children I know have developed willpower. A little girl who was afraid of thunder and lightning woke up frightened to death by a terrific storm. But instead of crying... She made herself get up and shut the window. She's a brave girl now, about everything. Another girl was afraid to dive off the float. She did it, however, and became the best diver at the beach. A boy hated to play football because he couldn't stand the bumps. But just the same, he made himself come out for his school team, and now he's captain. Another boy became was becoming very unpopular because he got mad every time he lost a game. He had to do something about it, so he forced himself to grin, shake his opponent's hand, and say Congratulations. Now he's one of the best sports and most, now he is one of the best sports and most popular boys in, at his school. These boys and girls are all happy and successful youngsters today because they kept on doing the thing that made the, that had them licked and so developed willpower. You can do the same, I hope you will. The Green Lantern's flame isn't make-believe. It's absolutely real. It is burning right now in your brain. It's your willpower. See that you use it every day, as Alan Scott does, and thus make your willpower grow. On the next page are illustrated some very well-known examples of willpower taken from American history. And then he goes in to explain uh, uh, General George Washington at Valley Forge and General Ulysses S. Grant, who never retreated. So uh, I would read those, but those are just kind of uh, um, condensed recaps of those moments in history with the positive willpower spin
2: that's a good way of describing it
1: yeah yeah and it's uh in between the two it says we hope you like this article on willpower written by dr marsden of our editorial advisory board we suggest you show it to your parents in our next issue dr marsden gives us an interesting game which you can play to build up your willpower which does happen it's uh it's actually it is in the very next issue um but uh i thought that was really cool um now clearly uh because there is no comics code logo on this uh this uh, this issue the comics code had not yet happened but there was a negative air slowly building about comics uh, at this point in history so it's really cool, not only that they included things like text pieces, which I said was cool because it encouraged reading for these kids. But it also included little articles like this that teaching these kids how to be better children, you know, be more go-getters, more active and things like that. And it's, you can especially see it in that little bubble I just read where it says, show this to your parents, you know, kind of kind of help, help, help us help you. To keep reading these
2: these comments, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but what, you, what did you think of that? I thought it was so cool because I didn't I, did I give you any warning that this was in there?
2: No, 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 no. Okay, no.
1: so what did you think when you when you turned the page and saw that?
2: I thought it was pretty interesting. I I kind of enjoyed it. I, you definitely can trace you know, by just by just by looking at this and reading into it. You kind of get the kind of an, the emotional spectrum kind of vibe off of this article. Um, almost like that you can. The, Almost like a beginning foundation of that idea of how important uh, willpower is in general, but just but just I hard to describe everything how I felt when I read it. But it, it I thought I I thought it was a good job at, again trying to in a way explain explain Alan's powers. I guess with underlying explain like you know why Alan's power Alan's powers are so impressive or why you know on this. Even if you didn't think, oh yeah, you have got this green ring. But the reason why you know it's so important is because of what's driving it and why that is so so powerful. But then it's just the way they br- they branch it off into everything in, in the big picture about how you know willpower and essentially believing in yourself is so important. So even from a pep talk point of view, it was it it was pretty pretty good.
1: And and you know, a lot of people will probably you know hear that and think it's you know that's cheesy or blah blah blah, guys. You know, the modern era. We are. I mean, and, and the. I'm not saying everybody's going to feel this way, but the modern era is very much comics. Comics are more mature. You know, we we kind of retaliate and and you know are quick to defend comics when someone tells you know oh you read comics uh, comics are for kids dude you know they're very mature, you know these days we we leap to their defense as a mature you know sophisticated medium. Back then these really were for kids. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, it's, it's pretty, you know, I think it's pretty, uh, it's, it's, it's well aimed. It's it incl- the words that it includes, um, aren't super, uh, elementary. Um, but it's not, you know, it, I, I could definitely see, you know, if, if my kid was reading it back then and I had a more open mind, I'd be like, all right. This is this is this isn't bad, you know. There's a couple of words that my kid might ask me about, you know, but it's definitely helping him learn how to read. So that's pretty cool. And it's giving him a little <laughs> propagandic type <laughs> uh, pep talk, but you know, <laughs> whatever gets him off his ass. <laughs> <Yeah>. Put the <laughs> cookie <true>. down. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right.
3: Uh.
1: but I like it. Uh, especially, you know, uh, from 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 Marsden, you know, writing it, I was expecting, you know, to come across, you know, a, a sentence or two that I went, oh, there's Marsden. But no, it works just fine. Especially for the Times. Yes. Now, uh, the other page in here is introducing Bill Finger and Marty Nodell, creators of Green Lantern.
2: Okay, now, uh. I, okay, it was, it was just a sizing issue. I, So I now I can actually see everything again.
1: Okay, do you want to take Bill Finger and then I'll do Martin Del- O'Dell, No Dell, or do you want to take Martin Odell and do Bill I'll
2: Finger? I'll stick with Martin Odell, but I but I just wanted to it was just the way the page was sized so so now I get this now the whole thing's back.
1: So. Okay, well we'll do it out of
2: order then. Go ahead with Martin Odell. Okay. Let me, let me slide it over a tad. Martin Odell, the artist behind the scenes of Green Lantern's activities, is a <laughs> is a frustrated actor, as we heard about anyway, but who was born in Philadelphia November fifteenth, nineteen fifteen. He did not live in one city more than two years at a time from the day of his birth until he was 10, at which time his parents finally settled down in Chicago. He attended art schools in Chicago, but found himself attracted more to the footlights than to the drawing board. He played many small parts in stock company productions, but for some reason that he could never understand, they never put his name up in big electric lights. Since he had to eat, he discovered that he could make a little money by selling caricatures for theatrical publicity work from time to time when he wasn't rehearsing parts of another flop production. Kind of an interesting way of writing these. (laughs) Uh, He came east to New York at the age of 18, somewhat disillusioned about the intelligence of Chicago casting directors. Uh, Well, I'm I'm glad he had given up acting at this point because he pretty much was out of business if he hadn't. (laughs) Uh, about the intelligence of Chicago casting directors and hoped to meet one in New York who really had some sense. Uh, I didn't re- Rereading this, I didn't realize how funny this actually was. Again, he discovered that art directors and editors liked him better than casting directors, so in spite of himself, he found he was getting a fairly good reputation as an artist. However, even when he started to climb above his financial difficulties, when friends would ask him... What he was doing, he would simply shrug and say, I'm between plays. Finally, he decided he had had enough. Something had to be done. If he couldn't be an actor, he would be the next best thing. What branch of artwork was there where he could really dramatize himself, where he could play a part, where he could laugh and cry, where he could horrify and amuse, and he suddenly realized that the best field for such a talent was the comic strip adventure. And so he sat down, dreamed up the idea of Green Lantern, and approached the editors of all American comics. The idea clicked with them, and Odell was introduced to Bill Finger, and before long, Green Lantern was on paper in black and white. And in color. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Now, the Bill Finger one.
1: Uh, Bill Finger, who writes the amazing Green Lantern stories, was born on February 8th of 1914 in Denver, Colorado. His family moved to New York City when he was very young, and Bill grew up in the atmosphere of his father's tailor shop. He wanted to be an artist, but his parents wanted a doctor in the family. And being an only son, Bill held their hopes. So he studied science in DeWitt Clinton High School to prepare himself for medical college, and the back room of his father's shop became a laboratory. His medical career almost came to an abrupt end when Bill interrupted a house party of his mother's by walking into the parlor proudly holding a test tube full of hydrogen sulfide. The odor, as Bill tells it, was slightly reminiscent of overripe eggs, skunk cabbage, and just plain skunk. Isn't this a beautiful smell? I coyly asked my mother's half-asphyxiated friends. I made it all by myself. <laughs> Although that, ex- that episode did not spell the finish of his MD career, it died nevertheless when dad's, when Dad Finger's tailor shop closed down during the Depression years. Instead of finishing college, Young Finger was forced to find some means of helping in the support of his pa and ma. Helping helping the support of Between the years of 1933 and 1938, Bill held various small jobs. Clerking in a hat store, then a shoe store, and even for a short time driving a taxi cab. Hmm, maybe he's an inspiration. Be. That's right. <laughs> but he was unhappy, for he'd always wanted to be connected in some way with the publishing business. Any job at all, as long as it had something to do with writing. One night, he met Bob Kane, creator of Batman and Robin, the Boy Wonder, at a party. They got into a discussion on comics, and Bob discovered that Bill had had ideas. They became fast friends, and before long, Bill was selling selling continuities to comic magazines. When and if they'd buy them. A year or two later, Bob introduced his protege to the editors of All-American Comics, where Bill was finally able to dig his fingers
2: into the – what is that? Juiciest. Juiciest? Juiciest. Juiciest. Okay, sorry. It kind of. Yeah, that word is a little blurry.
1: The juiciest assignment of his career. Green Lantern.
2: That makes you wonder if they wrote their own bios.
1: It makes it makes me wonder if they wrote each other's bios.
2: Well, yeah. No matter how it was done, clearly, the, I I think it's safe to say they were not written by the same person, just because of the fact that the tones are entirely different. Yeah. You, have a ha- you have you have more than, more than more than a little dose of heavy sarcasm on the Martin O'Dell side. <laughs> <laughs>
1: which, which from Jackie's description it that would definitely keep in line with, with Martin O'Dell. <laughs> and, and Chicago, hey, up yours, buddy.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a whole it's yeah, a whole different uh, a whole different spin, so. But I love these yeah, uh,
1: I, I, like I, I, I like the Marsden one just because it's Marsden and he appears in the pages of a Green Lantern comic and he's like – he's he's like just waxing rhapsodic on the idea of willpower. So that's just so cool to me that, that this Wonder Woman creator is, is involved in little snippets of information in a Green Lantern comic. That's just so cool to me. Um, but I really like that that page because – it's telling you the history of the creators of Green Lantern just a couple of years after his creation. <laughs> so, you know, it's not, you know, uh, fudged by time and, you know, uh, if, uh apologies, but, you know, elderly memories
2: and, and things like that. <laughs> so that's cool. That was a lot of fun. A lot of, int- a lot of, a lot of intro. It's, it's always good to go back and you kind of get not just a, the sense and the flavor of the time it's just 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 to see how comics have changed let alone the the, where you where you were in the world or the society at the time it's just good just interesting to see how comics had changed and as we kind of mentioned this was even the style not just of the art but especially the art maybe even more than, than the story uh that is still very comic strippy of the time you know which was you know how which would make sense how comic books looked originally as opposed to having kind of like, you know, evolving over time into a different, you know, in a different – to just overall have a different vibe and a different look to them have, to, as detail became more and more important. Yeah, So, for sure.
1: All right, guys, we tried to keep it as short as we could, but, you know, clearly <laughs> – Clearly, we uh we kind of failed in that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I just re- I just realized how much we failed in that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, but hey, uh, it's a golden age comic; it's worth it. And plus, we read you these uh, these really cool inserts, word for word, so that you don't have to go and track down these golden age snippets yourself. Um, I think that that's worth the, the the extra time, anyways, to get these uh, these little uh, time capsule pages <laughs> in audio form. So. <laughs>
2: And we haven't had a really, really, really long episode in a while, so I guess we can we're we're able to go over a tad.
1: (laughs) That's true, and you know, since I threw out my back and things, the whole schedule for you know what we had in mind for GL seventy fifth kind of got thrown out of whack. I mean, we're still doing most of those ideas, but obviously they're gonna have to get pushed to August. So we might as well give you guys an extra special sized episode to kind of make up for that a little bit. So. Here you go, guys, and I hope you enjoyed. Even if you have to listen over a couple of uh, commutes.
2: <laughs> You're welcome, America. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right, Mark, you want to close this out? I reckon I will do that. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't do a closing, when we did the first part of this. <laughs> nope. I thought we did for some reason. I actually was literally thinking about this two seconds ago. I thought we did. Maybe we didn't. Um, you can email us, lanterncast at gmail.com lanterncast.gmail.com please visit our website lanterncast.com check out our encyclopedia, episodes movie reviews latest news older episodes you know you, you know the drill people it's there <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter Instagram and, and Facebook uh, use hashtag GLcast to find us on all of the above we are on iTunes and Stitcher and if you like us on either or both please leave us a positive review Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, call us at 708-LANTERN, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think.
1: Awesome, guys. Uh, So, again, hope you enjoyed it. And, again, this was a part of the massive Green Lantern 75th uh, celebration. Search across the Internet for the hashtag GL75th, so GL75TH, and you will find plenty of awesome uh, bits of content, including our own, to – celebrate uh the character and concept of green lantern uh mark and i will be continuing this throughout the rest of the year uh our bigger ideas obviously are probably coming in august just because we already have them kind of scheduled out um but i'm sure there'll be some more uh you know big and cool ideas that we'll have that we'll kind of post sporadically throughout the rest of the year because the celebration and life of a character like green lantern shouldn't be relegated to just two months. We just kind of did that just so, you know, if people wanted to participate, they kind of had a clear window to do so. Um, But it'll, the the celebration continues. Um, So hopefully you guys enjoyed what we've been able to put together so far and what we have coming up. Uh, And uh, just uh, to throw it out there, uh, I actually showed up, and, and this was several months ago, so Mark, I don't even know if you remember me telling you about this. But I showed up on a, another podcast that you actually heard advertised earlier in the episode, the uh, the uh, uh, Secret Origins podcast with Ryan Daly, where myself and uh, Sean Engel, uh, along with Ryan Daly, covered uh, the issue of Secret Origins that covers the Golden Age, or not the Golden Age, the uh, yes, the Golden Age Sandman. And the origin of Guy Gardner.
3: Nice.
1: So, so uh, that 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 is actually out now. Uh, the only reason <laughs> it hasn't been mentioned until this point is because I recorded it with Sean and Ryan like back in May or something like that, and it didn't just it didn't release until as we record this, uh, just about a week ago. <laughs> so it is out now. Uh, as you guys uh, hear this, it released uh, earlier this month. Uh, and, uh, hopefully you guys go out, check that out. I can't remember the exact episode number, but, uh, it's the secret origins podcast. Definitely go check that out. And that is part of the GL 75th celebration.
2: Very nice.
1: All right, guys, we'll, we'll talk to you later and, uh, happy 75th anniversary, Alan Scott and all green lanterns everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Keep keep the green light burning. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. We'll talk to you later.
3: Good night, everybody.